15 already. Praise the Lord. Let's get started. Goodness gracious alive. Glory, glory, glory. Welcome to the Bible study. Tuesday night Bible study. Praise the King. Glory, 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 glory. Oh, goodness gracious alive. How are you, young lady? Yeah. Did you have a good flight with Dad today? Amen. You know what he said about your son, your my brother? He said he went down to College Station, and he said he's a whole lot better prayer by the time we got back. <laughs> oh goodness gracious! Yeah, goodness gracious! I get tickled. Ty says one way, he said, become a new pilot and then take your son to college station to a football game and then fly back on Saturday night and your son, by the time he gets back, he's a whole lot better Christian. <laughs> With dad in a new airplane, he's learned how to pray. <laughs> oh, we've got to have a little fun at all this right time. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, the Lord, he watches over us and I can only imagine his sense of humor. Oh, goodness, and all the things we do as we learn. Oh, me. Praise the King. I want us to get ready to pray here for a second, but before you do, if you'll open your Bibles to the book of James, we're going to talk a little bit about two different uh, translations of this chapter 2. <clears throat> We're going to read out of the NLT some as well as the King James. Now, some of this, the King James, is not near as clear as the NLT. But anyway, we're going to see some things in here. We're going to find some places that what the Lord talks about. Again, we're going to see a little bit of this falling from grace and transgressing the law. And we're going to see how easy it is to do that, uh, how easy it is to sin. Uh, it's amazing how easy it is to sin. But we don't want to go there. We want to learn what the Word says so we don't go there. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you and praise you and worship you for the beautiful rain that you sent, Lord. We are so grateful for the beautiful rain. Lord, it was wonderful. Lord, I mean, oh, it was so wonderful. And Lord, this morning when I was out looking, I, beyond my wildest dreams already, the green grass is just springing forth. Everything's gone from brown to green in just a day or two. And Lord, we are so grateful for all the provisions. You said that you would let it rain on the just and the unjust. And Lord, in the last few weeks, I've been calling you and through that. Lord, please let it rain on the just and the unjust because, Lord, we had not had any rain in so long. But, Lord, I thank you for the rain. I thank you for the beauty of it. I thank you for what it does. I thank you for the green grass. I thank you for everything. But, Lord, we need a whole lot more water. We need it, we need it to fill up the lakes and, and ponds and everything. We need a lot more water. Lord, but we thank you for what we got. And we want to thank you in advance for the rest of it because I know in the near future you will bring more rains to cause the rivers and streams to flow so that the lakes and everything, the reservoirs will all fill up. Because, Lord, we have, we have an abundance of need for water in this metroplex area. So many million people have to have water every day. And most of us don't even thank you for it. Most of us take it for granted. But, Lord, for some of us, those that are your children... We want to thank you and praise you for the provisions that only you can give. 
We are so grateful that you're our Lord and our God and that you provide. And, Lord, we just want to praise you tonight. As we get in your word, we want to see some of the things that you like and you don't like. And so, Lord, we want to do the things that you like. We want to walk where you want us to walk. Now, Lord, open our understanding, open our hearts as we look at your word, because we want to walk where you want us to walk, so we don't have to be concerned about the enemy. Thank you, Father, for your word. Now, bless it as we study tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. To start off with, on the very first thing, on James chapter 2, I want you to think about what he's saying here. He says, My brethren, have not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You know, that's confusing to me. I don't know if it's confusing to you or not. But it's when I look at that, I, I read that a lot of times. And my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Now, what does he mean? What does he mean there? Well, let me read it to you out of the NLT. Now, when I read it out of the NLT, I got this the very first time out of the NLT, but I didn't get it the first time out of the King James. I read that several times, and I thought, Lord, I'm not sure I understand what you mean right there. But the NLT says, My dear brothers and sisters... How can you claim that you have faith in our glorious Lord? How can you claim that you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if you favor some people more than others? That's pretty clear, wasn't it? I thought, you know, it's amazing how many times I read this. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. I mean, I I don't know about you, but maybe you're just a whole lot smarter than me. But when I read that first line, I really don't get a whole lot out of that line in the King James. It was just a little difficult for me to understand. But when I read this over here about my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim that you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? If you favor some people more than others. Man, that was simple. I mean, I got that the first time through. So what he's trying to say is, hey, you come in or I see you on the street or I see, just like a while ago when Cheryl and I was coming in, we saw a police officer stopped up there by the bridge and a guy standing out there in front, you know, I mean, one of the kind of guys, you know, that stands out on the side of the road. It looked like they were probably checking him out, you know. So, it's amazing how that if we see someone that's nicely dressed or whatever, or whatever we will, and it's very easy to do this. You walk into a restaurant or you walk into a building and here's some guy with a suit and tie and looks like he's somebody. You know, who knows who he is? He may not be nobody. But he might be the president, too. You don't know who he might be of this corporation. You just walk in. But if he's dressed nice, it's real easy to walk up to him and say, how are you, sir? But if it's some old scroungy guy, maybe like me, that's been out working on a car or a bus, and he's greasy from the top of his head to the bottom of his head, and you walk in and say, who's that guy? You know. I mean, when we do that, do you know we sin? 
we sin. And the Scripture's going to teach us that just in a minute. It's so easy to sin. That is, that's what, what it is so easy. It says, it says in verse 2, 4, If their company gives us this very example, if there come unto you, under your assembly, a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. I mean, I can see this picture, can't you? You know, I remember, after studying this before many times, I remember one time when I was a deacon at Lakeland Baptist Church, we had a lot of nice people walking on Sunday morning up there in that church. I mean, a lot of them, you know, nice. I mean, some of them, some of them were driving fancy cars outside, had on, I mean, there's no telling. I, I couldn't even... I mean, back in those days, you know, if you had if you had a suit that come from anybody besides Sears or Target, I didn't know where it come from. You know, so I mean, I, I didn't have fancy clothes, and I, I don't I don't buy fancy clothes. I never went out to buy fancy clothes. I just never lived there. I mean, uh, but I know some of those people did. You know, I mean, I mean, it's amazing where some of those people did live, and they had lots of money, and they drove nice cars, but. I was friendly to everybody. I tried to befriend everybody exactly the same. Then I remember one day a, a guy. I mean, he looked like the poorest guy I'd ever seen. He he couldn't talk very well. He had a, a speech impediment of some kind. He had all kinds of problems. And when he walked in, he looked like he was looking for a place to sit down. He didn't know. I'd never seen him at Lakeland before. So I went over and I said, "Sir, can I help you find a place to sit?" And he said, well, I'm new, and, and he had uh, real trouble talking. But, yeah, I'm, I've moved to Louisville, and I want to come to church here, but I don't know anything about this place. And so I took him down and seated him and everything, and I was really friendly to him. And I told him, I said, if there's anything I can do to help you, I'm a, one of the deacons here at this church, and I'll be happy to help you. Well, after church was over, he wanted to come and talk to me. You know, he was really, I mean, he found somebody that would talk to him. So I was nice to him, talked to him, and answered all the questions I could and everything. And so the next Sunday or two, every Sunday this guy was here. And then the next Sunday or two he was there, and it was raining. And, you know, he said, uh, it started raining and said, I live down in the trailer park just about a mile down the road down there. He said, uh, would you mind driving me home? I said, of course not. I'd be happy to. You know, now the first thing that comes in your mind, and you know, this old this old guy, you know, uh, reckon I can trust this guy. You know, he's not dressed very nice. He don't talk very nice. Uh, he lives down there. He said he lives in a mobile home park. You know, I don't know this guy. Only a couple, two, three sons. And now he's asking me to take him home. You know, what do I do? I just was just as nice as I could be. I told him, sure, I'll be happy to. I said, now i got to wait on my wife and my kids to get out of the class and everything. But I said, if you don't mind waiting a few minutes, as soon as they, I get everybody together, we'll be happy to take you home. And so we did. We took him home. And it's like this guy adopted us, you know. I mean, every Sunday he wanted to ride home, you know. And it became a routine thing to go, you know, because I don't think anybody had ever befriended this guy like this. He'd never met somebody that would just walk in and be friendly to him. And one day I was reading over in the book of Hebrews. And I, 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 was, 
I was talking to the Lord one night. I said, Lord, there's something strange about this man. I said, I've asked him some pretty in-depth questions about the Word of God. And he always just has the answer just like that. I said, obviously this guy has studied. I who is this guy? Lord, why is he such a poor guy? You know, he just came from nowhere. And, you know, I don't understand this. And so one day I said, Lord, who is this guy? And then I was turned to what I was reading in the book of Hebrews. And it says, you know, you know entertain strangers because you never know when you've entertained an angel unaware. I thought, whoa, you reckon this guy's an angel? I thought, hmm, he could just be an angel. And then all of a sudden one day, he's gone just like he came. And nobody knows where he went. He's just gone. I had never seen him again. And I've often wondered, I wonder if this guy was an angel. Well, just recently I've done a series for the radio on angels and your health. And you know, it's amazing... I've done about, uh, how many shows was it? 30, I think. 28 or 30 15-minute radio shows about angels and your health. They're going to start airing here in just uh, another week or two. But people have no idea that if you upset your angel, how angels can affect your health. You know, most people don't know this. So, but, so I made about 20, it's either 28 or 30 15-minute radio shows. I mean, I'm going to tell you, the Lord told us He's going to send His angel before us. He said, don't provoke Him or He won't forgive you. You know, uh, it just, you go on and on and on about angels and how angels came, how they prepared food for us, how they strengthened us, how Jesus Himself, at the end of His 40-day fast, when an, He got through with His 40-day fast, Angels came to him and ministered to him and strengthened him. If they can do that to him, they can do it for you and me. You know, or I think about over in Acts, uh, where that uh, Herod made a nice speech, and some man stood up and said, "This is not the voice of a man. This is the voice of a god." And Herod probably strutted around up there on the stage and said, that man's right, I'm a God. And his angel said, because he didn't give glory to God, his angel smote him and killed him, and the maggots eat him right there before everybody on the platform. You don't want to make your angel mad. I mean, do you? Absolutely not. You know, so we don't understand how angels intervene in our life of health or sickness. You know, but it's obvious there's many places in the Scriptures, many places, because I've done, I think it was 30. I think, I think it was 30. 30, like I said, either 28 or 30. I got so many of them there, I forget, lost count last night when I, we put them on the website. But uh, starting the 13th, of this next month to the 16th of next month, my entire teaching every day, five days a week, will be about angels and your health. And all these things about how these angels can do great things for us, or they can afflict us, and how they can make us sick, or how they can kill us. You know, and it's, it's amazing what the Scripture has to say about these things. But 
when you think about what the Lord's telling us right here in the book of James, if, a, if there comes unto you, in, under your assembly, a man with a gold ring, <clears throat> and we see lots of people like this, and in goodly apparel. In other words, he's got a $5,000 suit on. You know, I mean, he's got the money, and he wants everybody to know he's got the money. So he goes out and buys him some really fancy duds. And then he comes in uh, to your church, and, of course, he wants to be treated as royalty. You know, that's, that's what some of them are. When those kind of people come in, they want to be treated. And you're to treat those kind of people just like you would a poor person. You're to show absolutely no favoritism between anybody. And it's not easy to do. And it says, there comes to you also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that wears the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor man, Stand thou here, or, you know, sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Now, I want you to, I want you to listen to this in this other translation. It's amazing how these translations, when you read these things, it says, after he's talking about the poor man, uh, then in the next verse he says, Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him? And yet you insult the poor man. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you truly obey our Lord's royal command found in the Scriptures. The royal command found in the Scripture. In other words, the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is God's royal law or the command of love that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. But if you pay special attention to the rich, you are committing a sin. That couldn't be any clearer, could it? You are committing a sin for you are guilty of breaking the law. Now then, when you and I break the law, in fact, let me read just a little more here in this, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. In the NLT, it says, And a person who keeps all of the laws except one, you keep all of the law except one, is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's law. That don't never make sense to me. I don't understand why that if I have to go out here in the world, if I go out here in the world and I drive 67 miles an hour going up the freeway instead of 65, I broke the law by two miles an hour, and if they stop me and give me a ticket, you know, I, you know, I mean, okay, so I broke the law two miles an hour. But that would probably make me mad, although I had broke the law. If I was driving 90 and got a ticket... It probably wouldn't bother me near as bad because I know I'm really guilty. 
You know, I, you don't drive 90 except you know you drive 90, right? You know, I, you just, and you might drive 67 and not, you know, not be paying attention and might get a ticket. But, you know, they have just as much right to give you a ticket at 67 as they do 90. But usually the fine is much more at 90 than it is at 67. But anyway, what I have the problem with is if I was driving 67 and I broke the law and only broke the speeding law two miles an hour, why would I be, why would I be guilty of breaking every law and the guy take me down and throw me in jail and said, you're guilty of everything now, so we're just going to throw you in jail? I would really have a problem with that. But do you know, the law system we live in, it doesn't work like that. The law system, if you break the speed limit two miles an hour, they're only going to give you a ticket for speeding two miles an hour. That's all. But God's law don't work like that. Look at what God says. Now, you know, this, this needs, we need to be aware of why so many of us, sickness and disease comes upon us. I mean, because God says, He said, and a person who keeps all of the law except one. So you keep all of God's law, you walk in love in every way in the world, except you got one little sin, and that one little sin, you can't stand that particular preacher. You know, you don't like this guy. You just got one preacher you don't like. I don't know if it's me or somebody else. Don't make no difference. But you know, I mean, it may who it is, or maybe maybe it's a, 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 an ex-spouse or something like that. You know, that you're holding a grudge. Maybe it's a child. You know, there's some people hate their children. If you don't believe that, you ought to be a pastor for a while. You'll find out that there's some of them out there that can't stand their children. But if, you're, if you've done everything perfect and you've just broken one part of God's law, he says you're guilty of breaking everything. In other words, you're guilty of murder. You're guilty of adultery. You're guilty of everything. In other words, if you break one law by sinning, and what if you sin and you show favoritism? That's what we're just talking about. You show favoritism to some guy. But the other guy, I mean, after all, that guy, he's not a very good looking guy, you know, and he's dressed lousy. And he don't smell good either. I got within a block of him and I could smell him. Ooh, I don't want nothing to do with that guy. Woo! Now this one over here, he smells good, he's clean, he's nice, he talks nice. Oh, I can, I can love this guy real easy. Or I can be friends with this one. The Lord says love, right? So you say, I can love him real easy, like a brother, but this old guy over here, mm-mm, can't love him. I mean, after all, you know, who does he think he is? Well, you've just fell from grace, and you've just transgressed the law, and you've broken the law, and the demons of hell have legal right to you now. You know, that's something that when you get a hold of that, you'll find out when you get a hold of this, this is why so many people are sick and afflicted today. But I'm going to tell you, if you, when you learn this, and you learn to believe the Word of God, just like it's written, it'll make a different person out of you. It will make a different person out of you. Nobody wants to have the door open to a demonic spirit. I mean, the people I deal with on the telephone, I mean... It's amazing the people that are Christians that are beat up on by the devil. I mean, beat up on, physically, beat up on by the devil. And you know what? 
You know, this is where I am now in my walk with God. God's in control of everything. I mean, do you believe that? When He said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. I mean, in heaven, on earth, under the earth. I defeated the devil 2,000 years ago and he has to be subject to me. Now, the devil don't take a breath without Jesus saying, okay. Do you know that? Do you believe that? If he's in total control, the only thing you have to be concerned about is keeping Jesus happy. If you keep Jesus happy, there ain't no devil of hell going to attack you because he promised over and over and over in his word that if you will walk with me and make me number one, I will keep you from the evil one. So, you don't have to be beat up on every day by the devil. Now then, once in a while, the Lord may say, well, I think it's time for Deborah to grow a little bit. I just picked her out because she just sat in there while Rosemary. He says, Devil, I want you to go over and put a little test on Deborah. And I need to find out how she's going to fare in this test. Now, we love those tests, don't we, Deborah? No. <laughs> None of us do. But if you, if you know who the enemy is and know you've got to keep Jesus first, and you know this is going to be just a test, and you're going to walk in obedience to the Word, you're not going to have to stay under that test very long, are you? Amen. That's absolutely right, Rosemary. Praise the Lord. So, those, but those trials and tests are going to come. But see, remember, the Lord says in His Word, Blessed is the man that endures temptations and trials and tests. Because when you pass your test, He's got a what kind of crown waiting for you? A crown of life. A crown of life waiting for you. Cheryl said I should have made this clearer Sunday when the Lord showed me this. But when I, when I said the Lord has given us a crown of life for the trials, I mean, right here as I'm standing here, I looked up and I saw a, a, a row of crowns all the way around this room with, little, with, with spaces missing every once in a while. And I mean, while I'm preaching to y'all, I'm saying, Lord, what is this? I don't understand this. It's amazing how you can communicate with God and still be teaching or talking to y'all. But I was doing that, and it's like he said, what you're teaching on, every time the man overcomes, that's the crown I have waiting for him. I said, well, Lord, how about that blank one? He said, that's when he failed his test. That's when he failed his test. And I'm thinking, Lord, you mean every time we go through a trial, there's a crown for every one of those? And he said, yes. I thought, wow. Isn't this awesome? We could have a, I mean, from wall to wall, that shelf I saw had crowns, but there was some missing. They weren't all right side by side. There were several in a row, and then one or two missing, and then several one or two or three missing, and then several. And that's what I didn't understand, what he was trying to show me. But that's what he was trying to show me. When he says, blessed is the man that endures temptations. Because when he has passed his test, you shall receive a crown of life. So every time you go through this test, I mean, we usually don't like a test, do we? 
it takes a whole lot to get to where you can say, Lord, I want to thank you when you start going through another one of these trials and tests. I mean, when you start going through this, you say, Lord, I want to praise you and thank you for this test because I know beyond a shadow of doubt I'm going to pass this test and it's going to bring another crown on the shelf up there. Amen. It makes it worthwhile, doesn't it, Rosemary? Amen. Well, see, that's exactly what the Word says in James chapter 1. He said, James chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man. Blessed. When you're test, when you have been tested and tried, when you have endured and you passed your test, you get a crown of life. That's awesome to think about that. But see, the Lord is building a group of people that He wants to reign and rule with Him through eternity. And you can't learn how to reign and rule and to be one of His children if you don't have to undergo trials and tests. You can't, you can't never get there. Now, we just don't like it, but we're going to have to learn to like trials and tests. When they come... Instead of losing our cool and saying something we're not supposed to say, like here a while back, where I say here a while back, it's been a long time ago, I was tightening an electrical disconnect one afternoon. We were trying to get some air conditioners hooked up, and I was up on the roof, and I was in a big hurry, and I was tightening a screw and electrical disconnect. Of course, that's a steel box, lightweight steel box. And that screw slipped off and it went through a hole in that box and I ran my hand down in that box and my thumb hit the edge of that box and it cut it plumb to the bone, just ripped every bit of the meat off. I mean, just laid it open. Technically, it should have had six or eight stitches. I mean, later, blood just gushed everywhere. And I just gritted my teeth. One of the other guys looked over and he said, Oh, my land, you've ruined your thumb. He said, Just go ahead and say it. I said, Praise the Lord. That wasn't what he expected. But see, that's what's in my heart. And so, I wasn't saying anything until he said, well, just go ahead and say it. Well, that's when I just said, well, praise the Lord. So, I got up there and tied a rag around my thumb and tried to get it to stop bleeding. Went in and tightened all the screws. Got the air conditioner fixed. When I went downstairs, one of the ladies down there, she was kind of like a nurse or something. She saw me and she said, what is that blood all over that rag on your hand? I said, well, I cut my finger up there a while ago, but I said, I'm fine. I'm fine. She said, Thurman, i got to see that. i got to see that. Well, I knew working for the company, she had right to see it. So I went over there to a sink and I pulled the rag off it. Oh, my goodness. She said, we're going to clean that up and take you over and get some stitches. I said, no, ma'am. We cleaned it up. I'm going to put a Band-Aid around it. I'm fixing to go home. She said, Thurman, you got to have stitches. I said, no, ma'am. I'm a man of faith. And the Lord Jesus, He is my healer. And I said, He will do a good job on my thumb. Well, she couldn't go there, although she was a Christian. I put some tape around that thing and a Band-Aid and pulled it all back together. And within a week, it healed. And it don't even have a scar. I mean, not a single scar. You know, so I think about when I think about walking by faith and walking in obedience to the Word. When we walk in obedience to the Word, think of the promises God said you could have. He said, ask me anything. Didn't he? I mean, that covers a pretty broad spectrum when the king says, if you're walking in obedience to my word, ask anything and I will do it. Well, when I think about those kind of things, of course, you know, working with all those guys, I can think one time we was finishing a building right out here at DFW. 
a little test kitchen, and I had been installing some cabinets in there one Saturday because everybody else was off, and I wanted to get it through. I went back out there to help myself, and I cut a, picked up a saw to cut a little board off, and when I did, the Lord spoke to me. He said, son, your hand's too close. And I thought, Lord, my hand's not too close. I mean, God just spoke to me and told me my hand's too close. Now, this is the height of stupidity. Don't do what I did. You know, if he tells you your hand's too close, say, okay, let me do something else. Don't be dumb like I was. I thought, no, it ain't too close. Isn't it amazing how you and me will argue with the king of kings? I mean, I realize there's some stupid things we do in the world, but I have done some of the height of the stupid things. Because if God speaks to you, and if Cheryl tells me to do something and I don't do it, and then I get hurt, that's something else. But if God speaks to me, hey, <laughs> give me a break. But anyway, I just went ahead and started sawing. And I started sawing that board off. He said a second time, he says, son, your hand is too close. I stopped sawing. I said, okay, Lord, I will reach over here and I'll put my hand out the end. The whole board wasn't but about that long. And I needed to cut a little piece about two inches off the end of it. And I had a skill saw and I hold... And I picked it up by the end. Before I had it like this, and I, it was going to be close, but this time I put it on the end, and I started to saw again. He said, it's still too close. And I thought, there is no way it's too close. I mean, you know, don't ever argue with God. Don't ever try to rationalize. If He tells you it's too close, just do what He says. But I kept on sawing. And I got just about an inch from the edge of that board. I cut it all the way into it, except about an inch. And somehow that board pinched and it jerked that board out from under there. And my hand went under the saw. <clears throat> that hurts y'all just thinking about it, don't it? Well, I'm going to tell you what happened. It hit this finger. Three blades hit this finger right here in three little places. Just three little dings on this finger right here. And on this upper one, it hit it six times. Bam, 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 bam. Just six little notches. But the one in the middle, it started right at the center joint. It cut it down to the bone and only left about a quarter inch of meat hanging off the end. The rest of it's hanging off, laying off. Now, see, that's what happens when we're stupid. You know, when you don't listen. Now, I know none of y'all besides me has ever not listened. When somebody told you, I know y'all were always obedient, but let me tell you, that day I was not obedient. I was disobedient, and it ripped that finger off. And, of course, the very first thing I said after I did that, I jerked that saw out of the wall, throwed it down, and looked at that finger, cut all the pieces. And I looked up and I said, God, I can't believe I've done that. I can't believe I'd done that after you told me three times my hand was too close. I, I said, Lord, forgive me. That's got to be the height of stupidity. Lord, I said, I've got to be, I've got to be the craziest guy. You spoke to me three times. I want to tell you how sorry I am that I didn't pay attention. But I've, I've suffered the consequences now. I mean, I was disobedient. I didn't have to go through that. But I did. So I reached over, went over to the water faucet, stuck it under there, washed some of the dirt and the sawdust and all the stuff off, and folded that piece of skin back over the top like that, and then folded my hand back like that and wrapped a rag around my hand and went and got my truck because I was in there by myself, and I went up to the hospital. I didn't have enough faith. It's been many, 20 years ago at least, 25 years ago, maybe longer. It's been a long time ago. 
drove up to the hospital in Grapevine and walked in with this bloody rag all around my hand. And I walked in and I said, I need to see a doctor. And she said, what's wrong? I said, I cut my hand. And, of course, this rag is total blood. And she said, can I see it? I said, well, are you going to fix it? She said, well, no, I'll have to get a doctor, but I still need to see it to see which doctor to get. I said, okay. So I unwrapped it and folded it out there, and that big old piece of skin just flopped over, and the blood started gushing. And she said, that's okay, fold it back up. And so I did, and she sent me down to a room and sent a lady down there, a doctor, and the room they put me in, the guy needed to be ministered to. So while I was waiting on the doctor, I got to talk to him about Jesus. And then when the doctor came, she put 13 stitches in that finger. 13 stitches. And she said, now then, now that I've got it all sewed up, I'm going to send you down to a specialist, and they'll tell you what to do from here. And so I said, okay. So I go down to the specialist that afternoon, and they look at it, and he said, yeah, you've done a good job. Said, so we're going to have to do a skin graft. And said, to come back to Monday, and we'll do a skin graft on it. I said, where are you going to get the skin? <laughs> he said, out from under your arm. I said, now then, i got two places to heal, this one and this one. I said, if you're going to take a big enough piece of skin off here to put on that, i got two big places to heal up. I said, what's this going to cost? He said, well, you've done it on the job. It's no problem. You're not going to have to pay for it no way. I said, but I want to know what it's going to cost. And I said, besides that, I'm just going to let Jesus heal it. And he looked at me and he said, no, wait a minute. That's too bad a cut. You can't just do that by faith. I said, oh, yes, I can. And so I said, besides that, I'm not going to let you do it until I find out what it cost my company. I said, it was my stupidity that done it. It wasn't their fault. I know they got insurance, but I said it cost them money. And I said, I'm going to stand by faith on this finger. But I said, if it's very expensive, I'm not going to let you do it anyway. Well, it was about two or three days later when he finally got back with me and told me, he said, well, my part will be $3,500. And uh, I said, $3,500? I said, that's a total? He said, no, I don't know what the hospital is going to charge. That's only my part. I said, $3,500? I said, how long is this going to take? He said, well, it'll probably take an hour for me to take this piece off here and put it down. I said, and you're going to charge me $3,500? He said, yeah. I said, forget it. I said, I'm not going to do it. I said, Jesus does it for free, and he'll do a better job than you can anyway. So he said, you're not going to let me do it? I said, no. He said, sir, you don't understand how bad that finger's going to turn out. I said, it's going to be perfect. You know, he said, no, it won't. I said, yes, it will. He said, no, it won't. I said, I'm not arguing with you no more. He said, well, will you at least come back next Friday and let me look at it? I said, well, okay. That's a week away. I said, I'll come back next Friday and let you look at it. So the next Friday I went down there, and I had already taken all the stitches out of it and everything. And when I walked in there, my finger, you could barely tell it had ever even been cut. This guy looked at my finger, and he said, it is obvious you know somebody that I don't know. And I said, sir, and his name's Jesus. He's the healer. Well, the Lord healed that finger, and today you virtually can't even tell it. I mean, you know, it's just beautiful. You know, no scars. I mean, if you really look close, you might see a little bitty light line of a scar there. But the king does good work. He does good work, but he only does good work when you and me trust him. You know, whenever I share his power with somebody else, and I say, Oh, Lord, I'm going to go down and let that doctor do this. And he said he's only going to cost $3,500, and the hospital's probably going to cost two or three or four or $5,000. I'm going to spend eight or $10,000, but Lord, I'm trusting you to heal my finger. 
No, 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 no. I ain't trusting him to heal my finger at all. I'm trusting man to heal my finger. You know, and I'm hoping God's going to show up. But And then it's going to take me two, three, four, five weeks. But I'm going to tell you, walking in faith is not easy. It is not easy. It's difficult. And there's very, very few people that I've ever met that's willing to trust God for things that happen to your flesh. But yet He promised to take care of you. But the reason we won't trust Him is because, let me tell you, most of us, just like this man we talked about, this guy comes in and he's rich. Oh, Brother David, you come right on over here. We find you a good seat. You know, you're such a nice guy. But this guy over here, he's, you know, he's poor. You know, he ain't got nothing. I say, you get over and sit down. You know, is that the way we treat people? I mean, a lot of t- people in the church do that. Is that right? Sure. We do show partiality. You know, and when we do these kind of things, you know what the Word of God says we just done? We sinned. We sinned. Now then, technically speaking, right there, your prayer life has been cut off with God. You have fell from grace. You've transgressed the law. The Word just said, and by transgressing the law of God, you're guilty. And as long as you're a transgressor of the law, is God going to hear your prayer? No. He's not going to hear your prayer. He said, I do not hear the prayer of a sinner. Did he say you just sinned? Yeah. You know how easy it is to sin? It is so easy to sin. So, if you sin, what do you need to do? Wait till next week to repent? (laughs) You need to do it immediately when you recognize you've messed up. Now then, it's amazing that, you know, if, and now somebody said, I've heard a lot of people say, well, Thurman, you're down on doctors. No, I'm not down on doctors at all. I praise God for good doctors, especially good Christian doctors, because if we didn't have them, I'd have probably been dead a long time ago. Because I didn't know how to walk by faith for a lot of years of my life. And when I did, and I've been many times to the doctor, to the hospital for many a thing, and it's nice when you do have a doctor that knows he's a Christian and that he serves God. It really makes it nice. Now then... Let's go a little further here in this. And we read in here, it says, in, in verse 6 under the King James says, But you have despised the poor. Do you have despised the poor? When I think about how we despise people, do not rich men oppress you? They'll bring you before the judgment. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? When you think about what's going on today just in our country, When I think about, we supposedly are a nation that was founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've ever, have any of you ever had the privilege to go to Washington, D.C.? Some of you have. When you go to Washington, D.C., everywhere you look, you see the things of the Founding Fathers set in granite. You know, you see... All kinds of wonderful things about God. 
in our government buildings and everything else. But yet today, if you want to open your class meeting in school with a word of prayer, they say no. Something wrong with this picture. I mean, every, technically speaking, every office in our country, especially if you're a Christian. But it don't even happen with the Christians. Every place, if you're a doctor and somebody comes in for you to minister to, they ought to know you're a Christian doctor and you should never touch them without first saying, I'm going to ask the Lord Jesus to give me guidance and direction as to what I do for you and your problem. We should not be ashamed of our God. You know, if they say, well, I don't want you to mess with me, we'll say, Look, that's okay, that's your choice. But I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a teacher, I just like, I think about when my son, 20 years ago, when he was 10 years old, they, and he was in the fifth grade, and they asked some of the parents to go with these children to Oklahoma to a camp for a week. I said, I'm going. And my son not going to a camp, you know, without me. So I took off a week of work and I went up there. And I think about that teacher. That, that first day when she's walking down a trail out there in nature's trail by that big lake. And she's telling those children, I see, now that's a petrified tree that was here a hundred million years ago. And then we go down there and on the wall, she's got the little bitty tiny one cell critter right on up through the little ape, right on up into the man. All this is on the wall in the classroom. At the end of that day, and what I heard her teach in that classroom, after all the children left, I walked up to her and I said, Ma'am, are you a Christian? She said, Yes. I said, I'm going to tell you something. If you really are a daughter of the king, the king of the universe is going to hold you responsible for the lives of these children and this lie you just taught them today in this classroom. He's going to hold you accountable. She said, but sir, I have to teach what the state says. I said, no, you don't have to do anything except what Jesus said. But I said, if you don't do what Jesus said, he's going to judge you. She said, I never looked at it like that. I said, well, ma'am, I think you better look at it like that. Because, you know, this book says that we're going to be judged for everything we do while we're here on this earth. Everything. How would you like to stand before the King of Kings one day and you didn't just, you didn't just tell a old guy that come in in bad clothes that he was set over here, but you'd taught hundreds or maybe thousands of children a lie and you were a daughter of the King or a son of God. How would you like to stand before him one day? I'm, I'm not going to be there. I don't want to do that. So anyway, I put her to thinking... And, of course, that first day when we went up in the camp, I prayed over my food. I was the only person in the place that prayed over my food. Wasn't another person. But I didn't, I prayed, but I just prayed normal. I didn't pray out loud, too loud, but just normal. But I prayed. And after I prayed and had my lunch, a lady got up and come over there and she says, you got to be a Christian. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I saw you pray over your meal. I said, yes, ma'am, I pray over all my meals. God told me to. Well, she said, I didn't see nobody else in here do that. I said, ma'am, I'm not responsible for the rest of these people. I'm only responsible for this one. But I did it because God told me to do it. Well, when we left that room that day, this teacher just got through teaching about evolution. 
and how we'd come from a monkey. I got to the room that night with ten young men, and one of them was my son, and I knew Tim. He accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior when he was four and a half years old. Because I had read the Bible completely through to him twice by the time he was four and a half years old. And there was one other young boy out of that ten that went to church. Eight of them had never been to church out of the ten that was in my room. Eight of them that had no idea who God was. I said, boys, I want to ask you all a question. I want to ask you this one question. All of y'all was in that class today, and you heard that teacher tell you that your great, 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 great grandfather somewhere was a monkey. Did you hear her say that? Yes, she said that. I said, how many of you believe that? Without exception, all ten of them says, I don't believe that. I thought, isn't that something? Here we got eight kids that are totally lost, two that are saved, and ain't none of them believe their great-great-grandparents come from a monkey. And yet we're trying to set up in a classroom and teach them a stupid lie. And we ain't got nobody that'll stand up there and tell you the truth. Well, hey, that's why there's staff murder in our classroom is because we as Christians do what the state tells us to do instead of what God tells us to do. It's all in fear of a job. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, I can say these kind of things because I've been there and lived it on both sides. Yep, I'll have to say, I walked with God in a workplace for years, and yet finally cost me my job. After 30 years, it cost me my job. I was threatened by the top people in corporate as a high manager that if I didn't stop talking about Jesus, they're going to kick me out. I said, you might as well fire me because I am not going to stop talking about Jesus. Hey, now then. You know, the Lord told us in His Word that if you're my child, if you do what I tell you, you will be persecuted on this earth. Did He not? Don't you think it's time we need to become really on-fire children of God? Not yield to the state or whatever. If they tell us to do something that does not line up with the written Word of God, don't you think we ought to obey what God says instead of what they say? Don't you think we should? Well, hey, I'm, I'm going to do it God's way because I know one day I might have to stand on this earth before judgment before a group of men and women for a company that the only thing they can do with me is fire me and supposedly take away my livelihood. That's okay because I don't work for them anyway. I work for Jesus. But they did that. But how would you like to stand before the king of kings one day? Y'all all know where I'm going with that, don't you? And he might say, why didn't you do what I told you to do? Why were you afraid of man on earth? Why did you humble yourself before them and fall to them in their ways and you would not do what I told you to do in my word? Why did you shun me? Why were you ashamed of me? I don't want to go there. Because... That might be one of those places in the Scripture where he said, I didn't know you either. In the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. We take this far too lightly today as Christians. That this place called hell, it's a real place. A real place. And do you know, the other night when Cheryl and I was laying there in bed talking about these things, 
I told her, I said, honey, I stand in such awe to think that such a tiny little percentage of the people in the world today know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You know, I mean, you can talk to people all over. And you can ask them, people you run into, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like a lady today. I was talking on the phone with a lady this morning. And this lady is being beat up on. I mean beat up on by the devil. I mean she's undergoing tremendous persecution. And I said, ma'am, when did you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Oh, she said, I'm a Catholic. I've always been a Christian. I was born a Christian. Anybody see anything wrong with that? Ain't nobody born a Christian. Nobody. Everybody has to come to the point that you've got to realize you're lost. And you're headed for hell. And you cry out to the King for His grace and mercy. And when you do, and then by faith, when you receive that gift by faith, then and only do you get saved. You don't walk down an aisle in a church and say, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Pastor touches you and presses you and says, Now praise God, I'm glad you come. Now then you're going to really be blessed and everything's going to go good. You're not going to have any more problems. Hey, that is, that's not what being a Christian is about. You come down realizing that you're lost, that your sins are wicked, that you need a Savior, you need somebody to forgive you. And did you know that when Howard Pittman in 1979, when he died and went to heaven, on the way to heaven, the Lord showed him. In 1979, only 2.5% of the people that died were Christians. 2.5%. In the 15 minutes of time, from the time he had arteries severed in his heart, and he was where he was in heaven, God spoke to him and told him, said, Howard, 15 minutes on earth has elapsed since this happened. And 2,000 people have died, just like you did, in that 15 minutes. And he said, on the highway to heaven, which the book of Isaiah talks about a highway to heaven, Howard said, I didn't realize there was really a literal highway to heaven, but he said there was. And he said, the Lord told me, count the people on the highway. And he said, I counted them. and said there was 50. 50 out of 2,000 got to go to heaven out of that 15-minute span. That means 1,950 of them went to hell. Should that make you and me very humble to think that we're so blessed to know the King as our Lord and Savior? You know, don't ever count this. Don't take it for granted to know Jesus. Again, as Cheryl and I was talking, I said, Honey, a lot of people that I know, I can't even get them saved. But I said, if I take somebody that's sick and afflicted, if I can get them saved... And I can never build their faith to the point where they can walk in divine health. It would be better to be sick, but know Jesus, and die and get to go to heaven, than it would to walk in divine health all of your life, and then die and go to hell. I said, it's just, we just don't realize how great it is to get to be Christians. I mean, we should be so grateful and so happy. We ought to be telling everybody. That we're sons and daughters of God. You know, don't miss a chance to talk to somebody about Jesus. You know, I mean, don't miss a chance. You know, so 
whatever you do. Now, let's, let's go ahead and I was going to read out this other translation, but let's read a little further here. It, it, verse 8 says here, in this one, it says, If you fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture. If you fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, and the royal law is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. What pleases the Lord? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So it makes no difference if I see you out on the street or I see David out on the street. I'm supposed to treat both of you the same and love you the same, right? Makes no difference what you're wearing that day. Whether you're clean and smell good or David's been working out and he's hot and sweaty, I'm still supposed to preach all the same. The royal law. Love. Just think, if we could do that, if we could walk in that, you know how much power the church would walk in if the whole church would walk in that law? The royal law of love. If we could just do that. I mean, there, literally, if we could fulfill the royal law, that would, that would fulfill everything in the book. And technically speaking, when you and I come to God and ask Him for something, He promises in His Word, anything we ask Him, He will do it for us. In fact, here a while back, I was watching a Christian television program, and there was a guy on there, and he was reading some of my favorite scriptures. Some of those powerful ones, like Matthew eighteen nineteen and Mark eleven twenty three and twenty four, and and he went through Matthew seventeen and and James uh, uh, five fourteen fifteen, and he he went through several of these great and awesome promises that I use all the time to get people saved, healed, and delivered. And as he's reading these, I thought, I wonder what he's got to say about it. I just became intrigued, and I just sat down there. I walked by, and the television was on, and it was a Christian station. And I just sat down and I said, I've got to hear what this guy to say about my favorite scriptures. And then he says, you know, I wonder what God meant by these scriptures because I have read this Bible and I've seen these scriptures. But he said, I've asked many times based around these scriptures and I ain't never seen God answer one of my prayers. But he said, in the church I'm in, I've never seen a miracle or a healing in the church that I've been associated with in my entire life. Is that pretty standard? I lived in one of those churches. I lived in one of those. I mean, until I was almost 40 years old, I was in church every time the door was open, and I never even heard a pastor talk about a miracle from the pulpit. Except what the Bible had to say about it. We never demonstrated it, or never saw one. I, I, I lived in a church like that. And I didn't just go to one church of my life. I went to many. And I never saw a miracle. I never saw a healing. I did see a few people get saved. But that's about the only thing I ever got to see. wonder why God didn't answer that man on television's prayer when he prayed based around those promises. wonder what his problem was. Unbelief and sin. That's absolutely right. Unbelief and sin. Now then... We don't realize how easy it is to sin. But if somebody comes into church, I mean, I, I can remember one night whenever I was just a deacon with a group of men and, and a pastor, 
we went out to eat. And, of course, at that time, of course, I was, Betty was still here. She was my first wife, as many of you know. That was years ago when we were young. And we went out to eat, and I was really proud of what she did that night. Because we sat down with a group of deacons and their wives and the pastor in a restaurant to eat. And everybody started to dig in to eat. And I'm sitting there, and Betty's sitting there, and I don't say nothing. And she looked at the pastor, and she says, Are we going to pray over this food before we eat it? I said, Praise God for a woman had more faith and more boldness to step out than I did. I mean, I'm not there no more. You know, now I'll, I'll jump right out there with you. But that time she spoke that, and the pastor, he said, Oh, yeah, we haven't prayed over this, have we? And, you know, I thought, Wow. Don't let that happen. So he prayed. And later, when we got home, she says, I waited as long as I could, but I thought they were going to eat. You weren't going to say anything. So she said, I had to say something. I hope you didn't mind. I said, I'm glad you did. Isn't that a shame here? I was the deacon. You know, I'm the Sunday school teacher. I'm the man. I'm supposed to be the spiritual authority. And my little wife has to say, are we going to pray over the food? Wow. I'll have to say one thing about Cheryl. She don't ever let me... I mean, we can be at the table, and if we just bring a tea glass to refill her tea, she will not... Even if I'm talking to somebody, she will... She may tap me under the table, (laughs) on the side of my leg. I said, oh, oh, just a second. Turn this, honey. And I said, the Lord bless that tea before Cheryl's going to drink that refill. I said, okay. Now, she won't drink it if I don't bless it. Yeah. She will not. You know, they bring something back. I mean, she knows... The power of prayer and what happens when we pray. You know, but we pray over everything. But th- this is fulfilling this royal law of love. Why are we doing this? Who are we loving? Number one, folks, to love our neighbors ourselves. But who are we thanking for that food? The Lord. And are we supposed to love Him first? Put Him first. And if we love Him, we're never going to gobble down our food without thanking the one that we love the most. Is that right? Yeah, you're going to love the king. So when you love God and you do what he says, you will never, ever do anything without praying. In fact, I got tickled at Ty the other day. We started up, we went somewhere and done something in his airplane. We were halfway there, whatever, and he just throwed up his head and said, God, forgive me. I forgot to pray. <laughs> I mean, he prays over everything. I don't know if he did with you before he left with you. He's got his daughter over here with him tonight. But, I mean, he took her up over the lake, I think, today. He said and everything flew her up there. But if he had a normal day, she got to hear Daddy pray. I know she heard him pray many times. But that was funny with me the other day whenever he just threw up his head and said, God, forgive us. We forgot to pray. I really think some little something happened, you know, that kind of spurred us, you know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> like we were flying along in a rough air the other day. We were still about 20 minutes from where we were going, and the left fuel tank got into the red, you know. And when it got down into the red, he started praying, Oh, God, please get us there, Lord. I said, Ty, we got plenty of fuel. It's just a little rough, and it's so it uncovered the sensors. He reached out, I'm going to lean it out a little more. He leaned it back a little more, and the engine actually quit running. He leaned it that much. 
he was in a little bit of a panic. Of course, he's a new pilot. You know, you got to be. <laughs> he's learning. He's learning. He says, Herman, it sounds like the engine's missing. I said, it is, but if you'll screw that mixture back in, it'll start again. <laughs> and he did. It started again. Oh, oh my goodness. I'm telling y'all, it's a little bitty thing about this big, but when it comes on and says low fuel, it looks about that big, doesn't it, Ty? <laughs> Especially when you're up in the air and you're still 20 minutes from where you're going to land. You know, so it's it's time to pray, right, Ty? It's time to pray. Oh, goodness gracious, alive. It, it don't hurt to pray. I will let to say, praise the Lord. It don't. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. But we had we had some very significant trials. And now that we're talking about that, a second, we filled the airplane up. We flew it over to another little place there from New Brunswick to San Marcos, and stopped about 20 minutes. And both tanks are still full. Well, the next morning, we pre-flighted the airplane, but we didn't check the caps on the tank. Uh, you know, we should have. I won't ever do it again. But that night, that morning, we didn't, and we was going to fly over to the Mooney plant in Kerrville and, go, and take a tour of the Mooney plant. And one of the little line boys had checked our fuel and found both tanks were full. But when he put the left cap back on, he got it cocked, and it didn't seal. And so that 40-minute flight on the way over there, it sucked 40 gallons of fuel out of that left tank. And that left tank was in the red big time when we got to I told him, I said, this has got to be an indication. I said, we've only flown for 40 minutes, and the tank was full, and now it's empty. And I thought, it's got to be a bad gauge, because it's a brand new airplane. But anything can fail. Well, we got there, and I looked, got up there and looked, and it wasn't a bad gauge. That cap had cocked, and that low pressure on top had sucked 40 gallons of fuel out of that tank, and it was empty when we got there. We scattered, we scattered $160, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's amazing, you know what what you do, but you see. I mean, you can undergo trials and tests, all kinds of. Of course, you know we really thank the Lord that the cap was still on there; it wasn't gone. But but uh, what? Yeah. Oh yeah, the other one's still on. The other one's still nearly full. But you know, you live and learn through the trials and tests of life. <clears throat> you live and learn, and I will have to say. That before I go flying in my airplane, I always make sure both caps. I don't never check leave <laughs> without making sure both caps are on their go. I bet you don't either anymore, do you, Ty? He checked them caps every time. Because it's amazing that in just a 30 or 40 minute flight, the low pressure with the top of that wing can pull 40 gallons of fuel out of that tank in 30 or 40 minutes. And so it's amazing. But the Lord says here, that we are to fulfill this royal law of love. And he says, if we have respect to persons, you commit sin. If you have respect to persons, you commit sins. And you are convinced of the law, or of, and you're convinced of the law as transgressors. Now that I'm beginning to see this, when Paul told us in Galatians chapter 5 that if you sin, you fall from grace. Now then, 
this place of grace is where this royal law of love is. And under grace, under the royal law of love, I'm going to tell you, there is no sickness and disease there. Under that, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Your faith only works through love. So if you walk in the God kind of love, your faith will work. You can walk in the royal law and no devil of hell can attack you and you cannot be made sick from there. I want to walk there. I think everybody wants to walk there. But if you do anything, and just look how easy it was to sin. Here we had respect of persons. We just thought more about him than it did him. That's all we did. And you know, we might not have even voiced it. You know that? You know how easy it is to sin? Somebody walks in and says, well, boy, that guy, you know, or, or that woman there, boy, she looks really nice. Looks she's got a beautiful dress on and all that stuff. Oh, boy, she smelled good. Hmm, boy. Walk by that other and say, hmm, wow, I don't nothing to do with that one. You know, she smelled like she ain't had a bath in a week. You know? I mean, do we talk like this sometimes? We have respect to persons. When we have respect to persons according to the Word of God... You have just fell from grace and you have transgressed God's law and you have sinned. When you've sinned, when you become a transgressor of the law, the evil spirits have power to come to torment you. And who knows what kind of sickness and disease can come upon you. Now see, when you read James, I mean not James, but 1 John 5.18, I want you to think about this now. I want you to listen closely. And if you don't believe what I'm going to say, you turn to 1 John 5.18 and you look at it. But 1 John 5.18 makes an awesome statement. In 1 John 5.18, Jesus said, My children do not sin. Is that a hard one? My children. They do not sin. That's what the King James says. He says, they keep themselves from evil. And therefore, the evil one cannot touch you. Did he read something like that? So let's stop and think about this. When you really have to meditate on that, you, as I've read that hundreds of times... When I would read that at first, I said, Lord, I can't possibly be your child. I must have missed it somewhere. Because, Lord, I know I have sinned since I accepted you as my Lord and Savior. How many of you know you sinned since you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Every one of us have. Well, then, what does that make us? Not children of God? According to the Scripture? So, when I really researched that in the Greek... I found out he meant that his children does not practice sinning. I don't practice it. That doesn't mean I'm never going to make another mistake. But if I make a mistake, that's when in that same book, he's talking in 1 John 1, 9, that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We can come and confess our sin and repent of our sin, and He will forgive our sins and restore us to fellowship. But now when we repent, what does He tell us to do? Whenever the man he healed that was sick, 
when he walked in and said, do you want to be healed? And this guy said, sir, when the angel comes and stirs the water. Now what? The angel. The angel came and stirred the water. Whoever got into the water first, what happened? They got healed. But you never knew when the angel was going to come. So they brought all these sick folk out and laid them around by the pool. And when the angel started stirring the water, which nobody ever knew when he was going to show up, somebody wanted to get into that water. And the first one in got healed. But he never could get there. He was too sick. So Jesus asked him, he said, do you want to be healed? He said, I can never get down to the water. That's not what Jesus asked him. Do you want to be healed? That's what he's asking every one of us. He healed him. He just reached down and touched him in his infinite grace and mercy and said, get up, take up your mat and get up and walk. And so the man did and he was healed. And then later when Jesus found him again, he said, now then, stop sinning or something worse is going to come upon you. Now, the guy had only been sick all of his life. 38 years. And he'd been an invalid virtually. He couldn't even get down the water. And if he's sinning, who knows what kind of sin it was that put him there. Or who knows what kind of sin his parents or grandparents committed. But it put him there. But Jesus told him, now that I've healed you, if you don't stop sinning, something worse than what happens on you is going to come back upon you. There's a message in all of these things in the Word, isn't there? When we read this book, what should it make you and I as Christians want to do? No sin, right? I mean walk in that royal law of love, right? Because if you walk in the royal law of love, then the king says you can come and ask me for anything and I will do it for you. But how easy is it to sin? I mean, he showed us an example right here. If we just have respect of persons over another person, you are guilty of sin. And you've transgressed the law. And you're a lawbreaker. And he went so far as to say, you're as guilty. When you read this, you'll say, well, let's see what he says there. Verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one part, he is guilty of all. Is that what he said? You're guilty of breaking it all. Then he says, he, For he that said, Do not commit adultery, and also do not murder, do not kill. Now, if you commit adultery, and yet if you kill, you are become a transgressor of the law. If you do either one of these things, if you go out and commit adultery, you become a transgressor. If you go out and kill someone, you become a transgressor. We understand those two, don't we? That sounds pretty bad. But to have respect to persons towards somebody else, that's just as guilty. That doesn't sound fair, does it? God's going to hold you and me accountable if we have respect to persons, just like if we went out and killed somebody. Isn't that amazing? His law don't work like ours, does it? It sure doesn't. But just think now. If you have respect to persons. Or what if you're covetous? What if you covet something somebody else has got? Is that sin too? Sure. You're a transgressor of the law. This is the thing I think that it's taken me so many years to understand. What is sin? What is sin? Oh yeah, I know murder is sin. I know adultery is sin. You know, I know those kind of things are sin. But, I mean... You know, to 
tell a coarse joke. I mean, so, you know, maybe Brother David did something that I thought was funny, so I tell a coarse joke about him. No. The Lord puts that right in the same place with fornication and adultery. Don't do that, he said. No coarse joking and no jesting about someone. You know. How many times do we do that? Do we do that as Christians? Sure we do. But did the Lord tell us not to do it? Yes, He did. Told us not to. Just like He says, do everything without grumbling and complaining too. And we do a whole lot of grumbling and complaining. It's real easy to grumble and complain. If everything don't go just exactly the way you want it, it's real easy to grumble and complain. I am trying to master all of these things. Did you know how difficult it is to try to master all of these things? Yeah. First of all, you've got to know what they are. And then you've got to try to master them. But I'm diligently working on them. I'm diligently working. I think, I think Cheryl will agree with me since I've turned over my new leaf. I really am diligently trying. Am I not, honey? I'm trying diligently to not grumble, not complain, to walk in obedience to the Word, to walk in love, to do everything the Lord tells me to do 24-7. I'm trying. Now then, you said you had a question, Gina. What's the question? There's a fine line between grumbling, complaining, and stating a fact. Uh, that's true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. yeah. Uh. So how do, you know, how do you know when you're stating a fact... Are grumbling and complaining. There's a fine line there. Hmm. Well, I, I think that it, let's, let's put it this way. That, that's, let's put it this way. Just like the Lord says, when your heart condemns you, then you know you've sinned. Just like the Scripture says. So if you're stating a fact and your heart doesn't condemn you, you're okay. But if your heart does condemn you, then you know you've stepped across the line. Now then, I will have to say this about different people. One of us might make a statement one day about something, and it didn't condemn me. But the next day, you might be walking in an entirely different place where I walk with God. And you make that same statement, and it did condemn you. Because what the Lord says here, in fact, let me read you a verse in the next chapter. In verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, My brethren, be not many teachers, knowing that you shall receive the greater condemnation. So now then, if, if I'm walking somewhere with God, where I'm walking, I might do something today that God would say, No, you can't do that at all. You can't go there at all. I might start to, I might say something about something, or, or maybe, who knows what it is, grumbling and complaining. I might make a statement about something that might sound like to someone else it's grumbling and complaining, but to me it wasn't. I was just stating a fact. But today, I might not be able to get away with that same statement that I made 20 years ago when absolutely was, it didn't condemn me at all. But 20 years later, God says, no, you're, you're, you've studied my word, you're at a different place now, and I hold you more accountable. And so you can't go there. And so 
Anytime I do anything and my heart condemns me, I know I've stepped over that line. And I think that line's at different levels for different people. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I don't think God holds all of us the same because we're, some of us are little baby children. Some of us are a little higher, a little higher, a little higher, a little higher. But when you get, a, 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 you get older, you get to the place in your walk with God where Ty and I are. I mean, he and I have been walking with God. We're older. We've been in the Word. We've studied it and everything. I want to say he holds, he holds us pretty much accountable for everything. He don't let us get by with a whole lot, does he, Ty? No, he doesn't. I mean, he, he's, he's, he loves us with all his heart, but he expects us to walk the line with him and walk holy before him. And I know that there's things that some people might get by with that he and I could not get by with at all. God would hold us accountable because we've, we've walked with him and, and loved him. And we've walked in a little bit of his power. We've seen his mighty works. We've seen him answer prayers mightily for many people. And so I, I think he really holds us accountable. So if your heart don't condemn you, you're okay. You know, so and I've heard some people say, Well, if that's the case, then I'm gonna stop studying the Bible. <laughs> I mean I had a man tell me that one time. I had a man tell me, they said, If that's the case, I'm not going there. I said, Well then he's gonna hold you accountable for that too. <laughs> so it's a no win situation. See, because did God tell you in Second Timothy two to study, to show yourself approved unto Him? Did He tell you that? Who was He talking to? A church. That's right. Brother David put his thumb right. That's right. He's talking to Brother David. He's talking to Thurman. He's talking to you. Study to show yourself approved unto me. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So if you say, oh, that's it. If I learn this, then I'm going to be accountable. I'm going to stop learning. Well, let me tell you. You don't want to be one of those guys that do that. Because there's too many places in the Scripture where he give us all these different gifts. Then he comes down and says, Brother David, what did you do with them five talents I'd give you? He said, I made five more, Lord. He said, well done, faithful servant. Come into the kingdom and I'll put you over many cities. And then he says, what did you do with them two talents I give you? He said, Lord, I made two more. He said, well done, my daughter. Come in here and I'll put you over many cities. He didn't say four. He didn't tell him ten. He told both of them many. And he said, what would you do with that one I gave you? I said, Lord, I took it and put it in the backyard and buried it. So here it is. He said, you wicked and slothful servant. He said, let me have that one. Let me give it to the one who had ten. And let's take that servant and throw him into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want to go there, do you? Whatever talent he gives me, I want to use it for his glory. I mean... I mean, many people have been blessed with many things. I mean, I meet people every day. And again, Cheryl and I was laying there in bed the other night talking about these things. I said, honey, you know, there is people that they live 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. And maybe they learn one little trade. Maybe they learn it real well. Maybe they're good at it. But that's all they can do. They can't do nothing else. That's all they can do. But I said, God gave them one talent. Then he gives another one two talents, and this person can do several things. But I said, I feel so grateful 
because the Lord has blessed me with so many talents. I mean, I mean, I, I, I know He has blessed me with many talents. You know, I've been, I've done so many things and know how to do so many things that I don't care if it's fly an airplane, work on that airplane, build a car, work on a car. I mean, any anything on an automobile I've done, anything on an airplane I've done. You know, from drive them to fly them, it makes no difference. Buildings, it makes no difference. What part of that building? From the refrigeration systems, the electrical systems down. Just like I was. Telling somebody a while ago, I said I had an electrical problem on this twin-engine airplane. And Saturday, I went up to take Eldon for a ride. We pulled it out of the hangar, and I went to hit the starter. And I hit the primers, and the primers primed. I reached up and hit the starter, and it turned this prop just about an inch and then stopped dead and wouldn't do nothing. Battery, I said, brand new battery. So we didn't get to go flying. Pushed it back in the hangar, and I went home, and I opened the book. And in the next two hours, I memorized the electrical system on that twin-engine airplane. I went back out there the next day, and I started checking. I didn't even take a book with me or nothing. And I started checking, and I started disassembling an airplane from the front to the back. And I found the problem. But I knew everything in it. I didn't need a wiring diagram. I had it right here. You know, I've had guys, I mean, I used to be able to take some of these big, sophisticated dishwashers that we had that was 36 and 40 feet long, and I could sit down with a computer and draw you the wiring diagrams, including every circuit in them, on a computer, and I knew how to work them. I didn't need a wiring diagram. I'd looked at it and studied it, and I knew it. I knew how they worked. I could fix anything on one of them things. That's not normal. I worked with a lot of men. That's not normal. You know, but I could do that. But see, God give me the gifts in the engineering. Now, when Ty and I get together, he starts talking names and words I can't even pronounce. You know, he's given him the ability to study doctors and animals and the human body. And he knows things that I, when he starts talking, I'm just lost. You know, when he comes up here and starts talking about this does this and this does it, I just stand there and say, praise God. You know, I don't have a clue. But see, he's given him a gift that I don't have. Isn't that amazing? But God gives some of us, just think, how would you like to be the guy that just got one talent? Just one. Well, as long as you took that one talent and used it for God's glory, you might get a bigger reward when you got home than the guy that's been given five if he don't use them for the glory of the Lord. You know? So, the final reward you don't know. Only when you get home, after we finish this walk on this earth. But this walk here can be awesome if we'll believe and do what God says. And I believe with all my heart, if we, t- I don't care if you're a one-talent person or a 50-talent person, if you'll get into this royal law of love and love your neighbor as yourself right under God, you put Him number one in everything you do, and you study His Word, and you love everybody you come in contact with, and love yourself like God told you to, I believe He will increase those talents on this earth, and you'll be able to do things beyond your wildest dreams. I believe that with all my heart. But it requires you and me walking in love. Walking in love. Just think, if the whole church could walk in that love, you know what we could do? 
we would be the most awesome organization you have ever seen. I mean, we, God would be so powerful in our churches if we could walk in love. We could go out and just, I mean, people. I mean, I think, I think of Smith Wigglesworth and some of the stories I've read about him. He obviously walked in the last 20 or 30 years of his life in that divine love, the God kind of love. It said Smith Wigglesworth could get on a train to go somewhere to pray for the sick and just sit down and open his Bible and start reading. And in 30 minutes' time, people would come sliding up to him on their knees and said, Sir, I'm under conviction in your presence. I need to know Jesus. He ain't said a word. What could we do if all of us could walk in that kind of love? It's, it's, there's no limit, is there? Just think. Walk in that. Yes, ma'am. I just have a question. What if you are hurt by, what if you're, you come across people that really are very hurtful? How can you actually love that person? The only way you can love that kind of person is through God. You, you have to see that person through the eyes of Christ. You know, what, what, see, so evil. I mean, it's just... but but still, here, honey, let me tell you something. You don't, we don't realize. Here's the thing that you and I don't know. That's when God told us. He said, "Judge no one, lest you be judged." Now, here's the here's the thing. Let's say, for instance, I look back at my life. Here I was raised in a godly home with a godly mother and daddy that never had a fuss. I mean, that loved each other, that loved me. I mean, I mean, I had such a blessed life. I thought the whole world lived like this. And then I have now met people that was raised up and they were born out of wedlock in the streets of Chicago. Their mother was raped by some guy that they never knew. And they were out on the streets on their own by the time they were five years old. And they were beat up. They were raped. They were kicked. They were everything but killed. And that person... When they got to be 20 years old, they're probably already in prison. And if they got out of prison and some of the things, they may be meaner than the devil himself. And boy, if they got around you and you were a fairly good girl or something, you think, whoa, I don't want to be around that guy. He's mean. But you have no idea where that man lived. Only God knows that little heart. And except for the grace of God... That guy could have been you. See, when I see people like that, that's so mean and wicked and, and nobody can appear to be get along with them. I mean, just like the other day when we were coming in. I don't know, but there was a guy tried to run over us Sunday, tried to run over the guy beside us and everything else. And I'm screaming, God, please, Lord, have mercy on that guy. See, I don't know what that guy come from. That guy might have just left home and he might have had a daddy or a friend. He might have been mad. He might have been cussed out. Who knows what might have happened to that guy. He might have been mad at the world. And now then, because he's mad at the world, anytime anybody does anything, he don't care. He's going to run over somebody. He's going to kill somebody. And, and those people, you don't know where those people come from. What if you do, though? What if you know their background? Well, if you, if you do know their background, then... If if you know their background and their background is not that bad, no, it's not. and and the and it's not there, then I'll tell you what you need to be doing. If you're a daughter of God and you know God, you need to learn to go to the third heaven, to the throne of grace, and you need to learn how to pray in faith for that person. I can I can think of the times. I'll I'll tell you a story right here how the Lord changed a woman with one prayer so quickly. 
And a man called me one Friday night. And he said, I need prayer. I said, what for? He said, my ex-wife, my wife has left me and the children, and she's gone to work in a strip club as a belly dancer. I said, she's not a Christian, is she? He said, no. I said, you're a Christian? He said, yes. And I said, well, what would you like? He said, I'd like for my wife to come home. So, I went to the throne of grace. I rebuked the devils of hell. I commanded Satan, which I have all power over, to take his eye, take his blinders off of this woman, which has been blinding her mind, because I know that if there's any lost and they're living like the devil, the devil has blinded their mind and, and they have taken on his attributes. So I know that, but I know I have all power over the devil. So I went to the throne of grace. I praised the king for the privilege to come up there. I rebuked the devil. I commanded him to take his blinders off of this woman. I asked the Father in Jesus' name to send the Holy Ghost to convict this woman of sin and bring her back home to her husband, convict her that she needs to know Jesus. And then I said, if it's possible, when you bring her home, let him be the tool that you can use to bring his wife back into the kingdom of God. I prayed that prayer on Friday night. The next Friday night, that young man called me again because I was on a, a prayer line every Friday night. And he called back and asked for me. And I just happened to get his phone call the second night, too. And he said, I need to talk to Thurman. I said, well, sir, I'm Thurman. He said, I'm so-and-so. I said, so how can I pray for you? He said, you don't remember me. I said, no, sir. I pray for lots of people. He said, last Friday night I called. My wife was the one that left me and went to work in a club as a belly dancer. I said, oh, yeah. I said, what did God do for you? He said, in one hour after you prayed that prayer, my ex-wife called me. Said she was in the club, and all of a sudden, it's like scales fell off of her eyes, and she thought, what am I doing in this place? She turned in her uniforms, called me, and asked me to come get her. I went down there and got her, and brought her home, and led her to Jesus, and said the next day we went and got remarried. I said, he said, the last week in our home has been absolutely magnificently wonderful. She's a new woman. I said, how long had she been gone? He said, 14 years. Fourteen years she'd been in that club dancing as a belly dancer. The devil had been blinding her mind. And one prayer of faith in the throne of grace from one man who knew he was in Christ kicked that devil out of her and totally changed her life. And that woman today is a great woman of God serving God. What can you do as a daughter of the king? It's only limited by what your knowledge is and your walk with God. That's the only thing that limits you. If you walk in a love walk, you do what God says. And you learn His Word. He said, my daughter, you come to me and jump up in my arms at the throne of grace. And if you're walking in obedience to my Word, you're doing what I tell you. He said, then you're going to worship me and praise me. And then you can ask me for anything, and I will do it for you. Those are promises from God in His Word. And He means it. He'll do it. But you and I have to meet the criteria of walking that love walk. It's not easy. But if you will... Man, can you see God do awesome things. That's why in the last 20 years that I've seen, the closer I try to get to that love walk, the greater become the answers to my prayers. And I've seen some awesome answers to prayer. Awesome things I've seen God do. But I'm not happy. I want to see many more. Many more. And I know that there's not anything wrong with God. The problem's right here. Here's where the problem is. Right here. You know, this six foot one from here down to the floor is the problem.
when I master by the Spirit the flesh completely and can walk in that royal law of love 24-7 every day. Then I can come and ask the King. I can come to Him on behalf of a person like you're talking about. If I can master this when I do. And I have mastered it a few times. And when I have prayed for people, I have seen awesome, awesome things happen. I thought that was pretty awesome. He did for that lady. But she was a mean woman. She didn't want to talk to nobody. Nobody could get along with her. She hated everybody. She hated herself. The Scripture says the devil had blinded her mind to the Word of God. The Scripture also says that the devil defeated was defeated by Jesus 2,000 years ago. And the king said he gave me all power over the devil only when I walk in that love walk. So when I walk in that love walk, when I go to the throne of grace, he hears my prayer. And he does whatever I ask him to do. And I'm telling you, for the next six or eight months, maybe a year, that couple will come to see me every, every month or two. I mean, they could not thank God enough for what God had done in their life. Who had messed their life up? The devil. So this person you're talking about that's mean and everything, you've got to realize it's the devil that's making them like that. It's not them. Because without the devil, the flesh can come under, can be subdued. And the flesh with the word can be renewed and become a great guy. Do you know that anybody in this room sitting here tonight, anybody that's here, in fact, some of you may look at your own life maybe only 5, 10, or 20 years ago and you think, I wasn't a very good guy either 5, 10, or 20 years ago. I wasn't very good, hard, very easy to get along with. There may be some of you in this room right now that can look back at maybe only a year ago and you might think, hey, I was wicked. I mean, I could hurt you. To some of you that were there, maybe a year or two or five or ten or twenty years ago, some of you have been those wicked people. But if you get in God's Word and somebody prays enough for you, in fact, I think about a gentleman that I've, I won't tell his name because he's a, he's a pastor, but I think about a gentleman that when he was young, he loved to play rock music. I mean, he wanted to go the way of the world. And his mother was a praying woman. I mean, a praying woman. And he said, Mother, that's okay. I don't need your prayers. I'm okay. I'm going to get out there in the world. I'm playing whatever musical instruments he plays. He said, I love to go to these bars and these clubs, and I love to play there. And Mama says, But you ain't going to be a club player. You're going to be a preacher. He said, I ain't going to never be no preacher. Well, one time he was a club in New Mexico, and the phone rang on the wall. My governor got it and he says, hey, it's your mother. He said, my mother don't know where I am. So he goes over there said, who is this? He said, it's your mother, son. And I know you're in that club in New Mexico. He said, mom, I didn't tell nobody where I was coming. She said, I know, but I got on my face before God and God gave me the phone number and told me to tell you, call you and tell you to get out of that place. And let me tell you today. That man today is a great man of God, and he's got one of the biggest ministries in the world right now. He is a great man. If I was to call his name, everybody in this place would know who I was talking about. He's a great man of God, but he started out 
on the wrong side of the tracks. But mama, she knew how to be a praying mama. I mean, she stood in. There's probably several of us guys in here tonight wouldn't be where we are if we didn't have a praying mama, right, Ty? I can, I can remember one night I went out and nearly got killed on a motorcycle. I mean, I mean, I didn't get killed, but I could have. I run a race, a night race on a road I'd never been on, and I won first place. My mother, I got home late that night, brought this little trophy, and I said, Mom, look, I won first place. She said, I knew you was up to something tonight. She said, that's why I prayed from the time you left. I prayed all night long for you, for your safety and your protection. I said, Mom, I'm a big boy. I can take care of myself. I don't need your prayers anymore. Boy. <laughs> You tell me how far away from knowing. I mean, somebody said, I can't believe you ever done it. Let me tell you, I was dumb and stupid like everybody else. You know, you think, hey, I got the word mother tail, right? Who needs God? Well, let me tell you, all I can say is thank God for that mother that stayed on her face because if she hadn't, I might have been killed that night. I could have very easily died that night. But let me tell you, if there's something we haven't learned in the church, going to the throne of grace, God told us in Hebrews 4.16, come boldly, boldly, into the throne of grace anytime you want to as my children, in times of need for mercy. And how many people have never even been to the third heaven? Never been to the throne of grace. Don't even know it's available. I didn't know for years. But when I learned the throne of grace was available and I could come up and jump up in Daddy's lap, and tell him what I wanted. And that when I had learned that, that's her ten years ago when I run up there and jumped in his lap that night and praised him and rebuked that devil and told him to get his hands off of that girl. And for the father to convict her of sin and bring her back into the kingdom. I mean, he set those angels and that Holy Spirit in motion. And in an hour, that girl was out of that club, back home, led to Jesus. And the next morning was remarried and back with her family after 14 years of hell on this earth. Now then, what I'm saying, as children of God, what can we do? You can't go beyond your knowledge of the Word of God. But when you get a hold of who you are, what you can do if you're an obedient child of God. See, the Lord promises us over and over and over, if you will obey me. Then He says, I guarantee, if you will obey me, two of you, two of you, Tiny's daughters, two, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done by my Father which is in heaven. Pretty awesome promise, isn't it, young lady? So your daddy knows that well. He uses that all the time. But lots of people don't know the promises of God. They don't know you've got to have your sins confessed. You've got to have them. You've got to be prayed up. You've got to be ready. When you're ready and you're walking in that love walk, when the phone rings, God will answer your prayer. I mean, I have seen it over and over and over. I mean, miracles. I mean, for a God that don't do miracles anymore, which I heard that many years, I'm telling you, I could not begin tonight to tell you the number of miracles I've seen God do over the telephone. I, I, I've lost count. I've lost count. Does He heal everybody I pray for? No. Not all of them. But He sure does heal and set free a lot of them. I don't understand all of this. 
But you know, there may be times when my love walk is not where it's supposed to be. I'm sure that's the case. There's times probably when I come to the throne of grace, he says, and who are you? Wow. You are so far back out there in sin right now, son, I don't even know who you are. But I got a feeling every one of us walk there every once in a while. You know that? But we're not supposed to. We're supposed to walk in that love walk. When we walk in that love walk and we pass our test, hey, come and ask him for anything and he'll do it. I love to see him do those kind of things. I loved it that night, that little girl come home. I, th- I think she was, she was 38 years old or something. 36 or 38 years old. And she was stripping before a group of men every night, you know, flaunting her body out there with those men. And one prayer of faith, and she was mad at herself, mad at the world and everything else. One prayer of faith in the throne of grace changed that woman and her husband's life forever. Ever. But God's the one who told us to do these things. So if we got somebody that's mean, what do you need to do? You need to get more in love with God. You need to learn how to go to His throne of grace. You need to get like, I'll tell you, a, a man that worked with, right out here at DFW Airport. One, when I met the guy, it's been 15 years ago, I guess, pretty close, 12, 15 years ago. When I met this guy one night, I walked up to him and I was walking up to all the men. And I said, are you a Christian? You know Jesus? And when I come to him, I would not repeat what come out of his mouth. But it was all foul. No, blankety blank, I don't believe in that blankety blank stuff. He said, you don't talk to them other guys about religion or church, it's okay, but don't talk to me. I said, what's your name? He told me. I said, you're saved and you don't know it. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to go to the throne of grace for you coming into the kingdom of God. He said, don't waste your breath. I don't believe in that blankety blank stuff. Every day for two weeks on the way to work, I went to the throne of grace for that guy, and that guy got saved and healed and set free. And he had not only did I change him. In fact, after I got him led to Jesus, one of the men six months later came to me and said, Thurman, this Jesus stuff you preach really works. He said, I've known Larry for years. And said, every other word out of his mouth, every year I've known him has been a foul word. And he said, since you led him to Jesus, he ain't spoke a single word of profanity. He said, what you teach works. Yeah, sure. Because I teach Jesus. Isn't that right? Jesus will change your life. So you've got to realize that person that's mean, it's the devil in them, not the person. And you've got to learn to attack the devil and not the person. Because as long as you attack the devil, you're sinning. And every time you attack the person, you're not walking that love walk. So you're, you're yielding yourself right to the devil. You will never be able to get the person set free. You will never be able to live where you want to walk. You'll live in sickness and disease and torment yourself. So I need to attack the devil. Sure, absolutely. But you need to go to God first. Oh, you got to, you, without God, you can't do nothing. There's no way I can attack the devil with that going to God first. Oh, you have to come to the Lord and humble yourself before God and say, Lord, I need you. I got to have you. I have to have you, Lord. I want you. I, I'm humbling myself before you. I'm coming into your kingdom. I'm asking you to to receive me. And if, I, if you've not accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, then you need to do that. And when you come to Him and humble yourself before Him, and then begin to read His Word and learn who He is, as you diligently seek Him, 
This is the thing about God that so many people miss. When you get saved, some people think, well, I'm okay. No, that's just the starting point. Then he says, now you've got to diligently seek me. I'm a faith God, and without my word and without faith, you can't please me. He said, nothing you can do is going to please me until you start diligently seeking me and getting my word and learn who I am. He said, I'm not going to draw near to you. You've got to draw near to me. When you draw near to me, then I will draw near to you. I know, but this is the way it works. This is the, I can tell you the plan. I can tell you what works. <coughs> I'm going to tell you that as a Christian, being born in a Christian home, making Jesus Lord of my life at 11, never seeing an answer to a prayer, never seeing a miracle, didn't even know they existed, but somewhere about 25 or whatever, I started diligently seeking this God in His Word. And I read and studied His Word 5, 10, 15 hours a week for 10 years. And you didn't find it hard to understand. Oh, there was some... There was some of it I couldn't understand. I still have some of it I have difficulty understanding. But the Holy Spirit is my teacher. And some things today that are that was so difficult 30 years ago, today I, I don't understand how anybody can miss them. But see, I'm walking in a new, new place today. You know, a totally new place. Because I spent so many hours studying this book. And as I studied it and read it and diligently sought God for those ten years, then He spoke to me for the first time. After ten years of dedicated study, He finally spoke to me. And then, as my walk increased with God, I mean, I've seen God do awesome things. But just, just like just a, just a few months ago, this man sitting right here in the front row called me on a Sunday night and asked me to pray for a doctor in Salt Lake City, Utah. I told him I would. But I told him, I said, I want him to call me tonight. I want to talk to him before I pray for him. So he told him to call me. At 10 o'clock at night, that doctor called me. That doctor on Tuesday the week before had fell out of a tree 35 foot up and crushed his back. He's laying at home with a broken back. I talked to the man a few minutes on the phone, prayed a prayer of faith for him. And what did God do to that man, Eldon? Healed him right there. Right there. Instantly healed a broken, crushed back. That man bought my wife and I an airplane ticket the next morning and we flew to Salt Lake City, Utah and spent two days in his home. And he picked us up at the airplane. Eldon has been to some of that man's seminars since. Usually at this seminar, this guy's a very powerful, wealthy man. This man will probably spend 30 or 40 minutes talking about his products and the next hour or two talking about his miracle he got from Jesus. See? I got to pray that prayer of faith for that man. That's awesome to get to do that. It's awesome to see God do something like that. But constantly going to Him. What if it's got one problem after another? I mean, isn't that kind of being selfish? I mean, is it okay to do that? I mean, I've got this problem, dear Lord. Okay, take care of that one. And, you know, I'm striking against the devil. And, oh, well, but I've got this other problem, dear Lord. So help me with this one. I mean, but now, see, that's, this is the thing you've got to learn about God. He's your daddy. And that, 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 that's the secret, right, Ty? When you learn, he's daddy. Now, as a little girl, now I don't know nothing about your past. But as a little girl, if you had a wonderful daddy that loved you. If you did, okay, good. I mean, when you were little, when you first started walking, 
did Daddy help you along to get started and you walk a step or two and then you stumble and you fall down? Did Daddy say, you little stinker, get up and walk? No. <laughs> no, when you were little, he'd go back over there and pick you up, dust your bottom up a little bit and say, come on, honey, take another step. Oh, yeah, I know how a good daddy did it because I raised two of them little critters myself. And you help them and you help them. And I mean, raising children is not just a full-time job. I mean, it's a 150% full-time job. I mean, it's something teaching them how to do everything. And the whole, and it never changes. Now, we'll have to say, after they get about 20, usually you don't have to be quite as involved in their life as you did the first 20 years. Well, now, any smart young man will want his father to be involved in his life. If he's smart and intelligent, he'll want daddy that's lived many more years, probably 20 or 30 more than he has. My son today is 30 years old. He has a college education. But when my son starts a new project, he always comes and sits down with me and says, Dad, this is what my plans are. I want you to put some light on this if you can give me some advice. He and I talk about everything. everything. Me and him pray over everything. My son is very successful. He's very successful. To be 30 years old, he's very successful. But he didn't get there by himself. He had a daddy behind him that loved him, that provided resources for him, and that praised with him and for him and helped him every way. Even when he wasn't easy to get along with, I still helped him and loved him because I'm his dad. See, that's God. And here's the thing you've got to get a hold of. I'm his dad and I love him. And I want to help him. And I want to do good things for him. But he's my son. And right now he's the only child I have. My daughter got killed in a car wreck a few years ago. So I got one son. And that's the only boy I got left. But it's just like that with you and God. Although God's got all of us as children. It's like you're the only one that's his child. You can come to him 24-7 anytime you want to. And he's never overloaded. You can be up there, she can be up there, she can be there, he can be there, I can be there, she can be there. We can all be talking to God, and it's just like you're the only one. I mean, there may be a million of us talking to Him at the same time, but He's got His undivided attention. Yes, my dear, what can I do for you today? Just like when Cheryl sits down on the side of the bed with me at night, she has me. I'm a captive audience. I'm right there in bed, and she wants to talk. I mean, I'm the only one in that room with her except God. she got my attention. She wants to talk. Okay, so we're going to talk. Hey, that's the way it is with God. When you sit down on the bed with God, He sit just like when you go up to the throne of grace, He invites you to come sit on His lap. And He says, yes, my dear, how can I help you? Now, if you're walking in a God kind of love, and you're in His Word, and you're an obedient daughter, He will hear every prayer you voice. And He will answer them. His promise is yes and amen every time. 2 Corinthians 1.20 It's amazing what's in this book. And when you learn these promises, and then you walk where God tells you to walk, that's when you get to see God do some of these wonderful things that we get to see Him do around here. We've seen God do some awesome things out of this little group. Awesome. And a lot of these people that are in this room have learned what I've taught them from God's Word. And they've seen God do awesome things themselves. 
This gentleman sitting here on the front row, my wife, after my first wife died in a car wreck, a couple, two or three years later, God brought me this lovely lady and by supernatural means and told her and me we were to get married. I mean, God said that. He told her and he told me we were to get married. So, whenever we got married, until then she was just a member of the church. She told me, she said, honey, after she lived with me a few months, she said, you are the greatest man of faith I have ever seen in my life. She said, where you walk is beyond my wildest dreams. But she said, I only met one other man before I met you that had faith. And it's that one sitting right there. She was sick and afflicted, had had all kinds of problems, had fell out of a truck on her head, messed up her head. She had all kinds of physical problems. They had tried everything in the world. She would suffered for years. She met this man. And this man told her a lot of things about repenting and praying in faith. And that man got her healed in one night. And she said, until I met you, that's the most godly man I'd ever met. And there he sits right there on the front row. But see, this man has walked with God, young lady. He has walked with God. Him and his wife, they walk with God. He walks in love. You know, he's still a human being. We, we all make mistakes, but we're trying not to make none, aren't we, Eldon? We're trying, but we're humans. But the closer we can walk in that love walk, when that man prayed for this woman before she was my wife, God healed her. She had never experienced anything like that in her life. She was really in bad shape. So if I'm in bad shape, I just, do I go to God myself and ask for healing? Or well, are you married? Was I married? Are you married? Not now. Okay. Well, I started to say, if you are married, no, you can't go to God by yourself. You have to submit to your husband. He's the spiritual head. That's the principles in the Word. But if your husband's walking in obedience to God's Word, then he can go to God for you. And he, In fact, when I go to God, and many times in the last two and a half years since Cheryl and I have been married, I've had to go to the throne of grace for her. And many times, God has instantly healed her. I mean, she's just become so spoiled, it's terrible. But she loves it, don't you, honey? She does. She, if she has a problem or a need or a soreness or anything... Or a stomachache or anything. She comes in, honey, you got to pray. And I'm, I mean, many times. She's got you. She's got you. I've got no one. Do what, honey? She's got I, no one. I've got no one. I know, but now that you're, you're right. If you've got no one, then you, when you come to Jesus, then you've got Him. Then you can do just like she used to before she married me. She could go direct to God. See, now, she didn't know a whole lot before. She knew a little, but He knew a whole lot. And that's when she met him and Nancy. That's when Eldon was able to pray for her and get her healed. See, oh, it just changed her life forever. But as a young lady by yourself with no husband, if you get in this book and study this book and put God first, I guarantee every day He will change your life. He will change your life. And I'm going to tell you that I spent, after I spent all those years studying the book, I used to have a lot of sickness and disease and all kinds of stuff. But over 20 years ago, when I learned the meaning of that word right there, sozo, and it means all in five things written down below, that night I received the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, as my healer by faith in His Word. And in 20 plus years, I've not had a single sick day. I'll be 68 in December, and I can do anything I could do when I was 30. 
But He renews my youth like the eagles. I claim His promises. I walk in obedience to His Word. I'm in perfect health. There's absolutely nothing wrong with me. And I contribute it all to my walk with God. My knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Although I knew Him as my Savior, I didn't know Him as my healer until I was about 40-something years old. But at 40-something, by faith, and I asked Him why that night. How I had, why had I been sick? And He told me. He said, you have never received me as your healer by faith in my Word. So that night I received Him as my healer by faith in His Word. And then I went out and started telling everybody, you're looking at a guy that ain't never going to have another sick day. And the church laughed at me. They thought I was crazy. Preacher said, you can't walk without sickness and disease. I said, you watch. I'm going to do it. And I have done it. Twenty-something years. Do anything I want to do. I can work 14, 16, 18 hours a day. In fact, the other night we come in after church. The other night if we've been up all day long. And I realized that I, Dave Rosenfeld was going to be out of town starting Tuesday. And I had to have another month worth of radio shows. So I worked all night long and all the way up till 5 o'clock the next afternoon making radio shows. And I'd done 20-something of them. Yeah. Now, this Saturday we have a healing school. I teach a healing school the second Saturday of every month. From one to five. I teach you how to walk in divine health. All people's got to do. If I have an illness. If you have an illness, Jesus will heal you. I mean, Dave Rosenfeld. Dave Rosenfeld, the man that's not here tonight that we just took to the airport this morning. Him and his wife and son, they're going to go see grandparents in Canada. When Dave came to me, Dave had an incurable, lifelong disease he was born with. Nearly everybody in here knows him. Because they've all been here quite a bit. But when Dave came to me, I told him, I said, Dave, if you'll repent of your sins and you'll start seeking the God of this book and do what I tell you, I guarantee you He'll heal you. And he said, Thurman, nobody can guarantee I can get healed of an incurable disease. I said, I can. Because God made me the guarantee in His Word. He started believing me. And when he began to seek God and study this Word every day, and at a year... He was so much worse than he was when he started. He said he walked up to me stiff-legged, couldn't hardly wear clothes, couldn't wear shoes. His feet looked like leper's feet. He said, Thurman, it doesn't appear to be working. I said, Dave, repent. God's Word never fails. I said, the problem is you're not personalizing it enough. I said, you're not spending enough time with the King. You're still spending too much time with the world. I said, you get in this Word early in the morning. You study it. You read it. And you personalize the promises. Where he says, if you say, if Dave Rosenfeld, I said, read them. Read them out loud. Read them to God. And then read them to the devil. I said, if you'll do what I tell you, I guarantee you'll get healed. Yesterday, Dave was out there working on the airplane with me. He never thought he'd be able to ever fly in an airplane because of his skin condition. Yesterday, he was out there with me all day. We were working. I mean, everybody else is off on Monday. He's out there with me working on that airplane. He said, Thurman, he's praising. He said, Thurman, I just want to praise God. He said, the Word of God says over in Ecclesiastes that you will meet one wise man in a thousand. And he said, I met him. And it's you. He said, I tried. I went to doctors all over the world trying to get healed. And said, then I met you. And you told me how to do it. He said, you got wisdom that nobody else has. He said, but the Bible says you'll meet one in a thousand. 
that have wisdom. And he said, you're it. He said, I can stand before God out here today, praise Him, and out here and not have any problem with my body. And I have a beautiful son that has no problem. He said, I want to thank God that I met you. I said, I want to thank God you met me too. Because he's a great asset to our ministry. He's a great asset to our ministry. He's a wonderful man. Yes. You said that if you're married, that you have to submit to your husband. Yes. And then have him go to the throne of God. Yes. Now, what if your husband's faith isn't as strong as yours? What do you do? Well, you're in trouble. You need to really, you need to go to the throne of grace for him. You need to be the daughter, and you need to, that's what Cheryl does for me every time I do something that's not exactly right. She don't say nothing to me. She just goes there and gets up and says, Daddy... Daddy, your son's not doing just exactly right. You need to get on his case. He said, I can take care of my daughter. And he does. Yeah. You need, I'll give you an example. One night, all the girls from the ministry center began to increase in people. When I first built it, I planned on just me being there. So, you know, I just put a little bitty one sink in there, you know, in the cabinet. And I didn't put no dishwasher in there because you don't need a dishwasher for one man. You know, so... Whenever we start increasing, now we got six or eight or ten people out there all the time. Well, the girls want a dishwasher. I told them, I said, I got three dishwashers. There's one. No, no, she's not. She didn't like that. Then I said, yes, she, I don't. So these girls don't want to be the dishwashers. I said, I ain't buying no dishwasher. I'll put you all in a double sink, but I ain't buying no dishwasher. They said, okay. They didn't say another word. Next day I walked in, right there where the dishwasher was supposed to go, there's a little placard stuck on that said, new dishwasher. <laughs> Yep, Matthew 18. These girls, can you imagine? These girls got together and the three of them went to the throne of grace and jumped up in daddy's lap and said, you got to move on your son's heart. We need a dishwasher and you know we do. And lo and behold, God moved on my heart and I had to buy them girls a dishwasher. <laughs> I mean, we don't stand a chance for these girls that know what they're doing, do we, Ty? <laughs> I mean, see, I mean, you can't... You can't it's amazing what you can do if you know your position with Christ. I'm telling you, young lady, you've been cheated just like I was so many years. And just like you, you know, your husband. And, um, my husband won't listen to him at all. He is so against it. And I'm just like, he's Catholic. And I'm, he's been a Catholic all his life. Yep. And I say, it's the same God you grew up with. It's the same God. And he's like, no, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. No. And well, see, but that's... But that's the enemy, young lady. That's not your husband you're fighting against. See, you're fighting against flesh and blood, but you're not doing it God's way. God's way say we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. So, when you learn, your husband's not your enemy. But the devil that's blinding his mind is that when you learn you have power over the enemy, then you go to the throne of grace and worship Daddy. You spend time up there with him and say, Now, Dad... You know, I got a little problem. My husband down here, he doesn't want to listen to your word. And I really am kind of fed up with it. So I want to serve notice on the devil. I want to tell the devil that I know that I'm a daughter of yours and that you give me all power over that beast. And I'm commanding that devil to get his hands off of my husband. Now, Lord, I'm asking you, Father, to move by your spirit and you touch his heart and you bring him in to listen to these teachings. And then you convict him that this is the true word of God. 
And you whet his appetite to become the spiritual leader of our home that you've told him he's supposed to be. And when you start praying like that, you're going to notice a change in your husband. Yeah, that, that CD, a DVD back there, the third heaven, was all about that. It'll teach you all these things. I mean, you know, you don't have to be sick or afflicted. I mean, we've had people in here, just like Dave Rosenfeld, sick all their life. And they ain't sick no more. Well, when Jesus, Jesus, we serve here. He's a healer. He can heal people. I mean, there's people all over this place has been healed. It's so hard to believe because, you know, when you see that on TV, a lot of this is, is, is fake. A lot of they're getting paid to do this. Oh, well, let me ask you a question in here tonight. From all of you that are in here tonight, how many of you in here tonight have received some kind of either a miracle or a wonderful healing from Jesus through prayer? See, nearly everybody in this place has. I mean, just like if, if Dr. Young could be here, you know, you ought to hear his testimony. You know, here's a doctor that Eldon knows personally, and he lives in Salt Lake. And he's the one who called me and wanted to know if we'd, Cheryl and I would fly out there and pray for him. And I told him, sure we will. But I said to God, I said, we'll heal him over the telephone. He's not. But so I had Eldon have him call me. And he called 10 o'clock that night. And I prayed the prayer of faith for him. But I prayed that prayer for many a person like, like that. And I've seen God heal hundreds of people like that. Not just one or two. I mean, instantaneous miracle. People that can't walk. People that are down on their backs or whatever. Or people down with cancer. And get, see them instantly healed. I've seen it hundreds of times. And why aren't there more people doing this? I mean, why aren't there more people? There aren't a lot of people in this room, but there's a heck of a lot more people in the hospital. That's right. And you know what? You know why they're all in that hospital? Because of sin. Because they don't know the promises of God. Do you know? You know why there's not many people that walk in this? What have I been teaching you? You've got to walk in to make this work? The God kind of love. You know how many people want to walk there? Oh, a lot of people want to, but they're not willing to pay the price. Oh, and work hard. Yeah. I mean, it's not easy. It's not easy to get there. I mean, I can assure you, between this thing that I live in called the flesh and the enemy I got called the devil, you know how difficult it is for me to walk in love 24-7? Nearly impossible. So, then how can... Like that one person I was saying. Yeah, if you learn... It, well, but the thing about... E, e, people that are evil, are, the devil is running their life. Okay, but if it's hard enough for us as Christians yeah. to do what you're saying, yeah. how can we expect somebody wants nothing to do with it? Well, until, until you do your praying and bring them into the kingdom, they're never going to get there. It's impossible for a man or woman of the world to walk in the love I'm talking about. It starts with you. That's right. Just like it started with me. How did? How come I lived as a Christian for 30 years and never saw an answer to prayer, never saw a miracle, and didn't even know they were existent till I spent that 10 years with God? 10 years locked up studying 5 to 15 hours a week. And when you do... Hey, it's just like, Ty, I think, Ty, don't you still spend about two hours every morning with God? Or more. Two hours or more every morning. And he sees God do awesome things for him. But see, God no respect our persons. We spend the time with him. You know, that's just like I tell people. And people can understand this. Married people especially. 
Are you two? No, y'all are not married. Okay. Well, I'll use me and Cheryl. We are. We, we're married. Okay. Now then, in the last two and a half years that we've been married, not a thought about another woman has entered my mind. And I don't think a thought about another man has entered her mind either. Just like yesterday, we were sitting there talking, and I went over to kiss her before she was ready to go somewhere. And I said, don't get lipstick on my shirt. I said, because if you come home find lipstick on my shirt, she said, I know you've been ministering to somebody. See, she said, I know your heart. See, so when she knows my heart, even if I have lipstick on my shirt, she knows there was some woman that had lipstick on that was crying, that I'm ministering to, that fell on my shoulder, and I'm praying for her in the name of Jesus, and she got lipstick on my shirt. But she knows my heart. She knows my heart. So she knows that she don't have to worry. Not at all. Because she knows my heart. And when we get to where we have that kind of a walk with God, when He knows our heart, we know that it's clean and pure, that our interests are toward Him and His Word. Then He says, my dear, come and ask me for anything and I'll do it for you. But it's not going to happen overnight. That's the problem. It's not going to happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight with me and it will not happen overnight for you. Let me ask you another thing. What if you tell me the most horrible thing and put somebody else to put him God? Then ask Him to forgive you. And He will. He makes you a promise in His Word. He says, you come and repent of your sins and I'll put your sins. My wife's favorite verse. My wife's favorite verse. I mean, let me ask you this. Anybody in here didn't ever walk with God all the way pure and clean your whole life and never sinned? No. None of us. No, but that's the unthinkable. It doesn't make... You know what my wife told me whenever God brought her to me? When God brought her to me, she said, you're marrying the worst sinner in the church. The biggest sinner. The biggest sinner in the church. I said, that's not true. All of them have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The only difference between her and the rest of them, she knew her life. She knew where she had walked. She said, I can't believe God had put me with you. You know, she said, I'm the biggest sinner in the church. And whenever she come to me, she said, Lord, I repent of every sin. Every sin. Every sin. You know, you know what God says? I put your sins, when you confess them, I put them as far as the east is from the west, and I never remember them again. So whenever, when she came to me and to be married, and she repented of every sin she had ever done, guess what God done? He brought her to me as a clean, chaste virgin. That's hard for us to grasp, isn't it? But that's what He says. When I clean you up and make you brand new, I, when you come to me, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad you've been. You tell me, Lord, I'm sorry, I want to repent. He said, that's what I sent my son's blood for. And I washed those sins away. And tonight I'll put a brand new gown, a robe on you that's pure and white. There won't be a spot on it. And you'll be perfect and clean. You come home to me as my daughter. Do what, honey? Isn't he a jealous God? Yes, he's a jealous God. But he will forgive. Sure, you've been unfaithful, but who hasn't? Who hasn't been unfaithful to God? But although He's a jealous God, yes, He's jealous. But when you ask Him to forgive you, He does. See, this is the thing about a man and a woman. Let's say a man and a woman. Let's say, for instance, Cheryl and I have been married 20 years or something instead of two. Say we've been married 20 years and all of a sudden, here I am 40 years old and we've been married 20 years and all of a sudden I think, well, I need a better, prettier woman than her. Exactly what happened. Sure. 
So I run out there and I commit adultery with two or three other women and she finds out what I've done. You think her heart's going to be broken? Sure. Sure it is. But what if she comes to me and what if I come to her and I said, Honey, I'm sorry. Those women wasn't what I thought. You're the best woman in the world. I've messed up. Yeah, I went out there and slept with three of them. But I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. Uh, Will you forgive me? Now, what has she got to do? Sure. If she forgives me, I may come back home and be the best husband she'd ever dreamed to have. Because I've been out there in the world found out it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. But she was jealous. And just like, I'm jealous and she's jealous. And if she wasn't jealous, then she wouldn't have cared if I'd have went out there. But because she's jealous and loved me, she didn't want me out there. But now then, she's mad too. Because she's jealous. But when I come back and say, honey, will you please forgive me? And she's got a choice to make. She can say yes. And then I come back home. But that's what God, He never turns us down. He don't matter how wicked we've been. I mean, I mean, I can give you some examples. He was, I mean, his wife and him was ready for a divorce a few years ago. They'd done everything wrong. Everything wrong. And that's what he did. He come and asked her to forgive him. And come home. And Cheryl, his wife, did. And now then, my lands are the two of the happiest couples you've ever seen in your life. You know, they love each other more than anybody I know around here. But just a few years ago, they were ready for a divorce. Because they'd done everything wrong. See? But God, it don't matter what you've done or how bad you've been, but out there will bring sickness and disease to your flesh. It'll do it. But God says, now then, if you repent... And come home to me. I will wash you clean. I will bring you back. And I'll put a brand new robe on you that will be white and spotless. And I'll take every sin you've ever committed. And I'll put it as far as the east is and the west. That's what I had to send my son for. And he'll clean you up and make you a new creature. Well, let me ask you something. So, this illness I have with my legs, mm-hmm. it ties in with all of this? Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, right here, while we got you here, my wife, she, there's, there's no, she tell me there's not any sin you can commit that I didn't commit. She committed them all. She had all kinds of sickness, disease, fell out of a head on, uh, fell out of a truck on her head, broke her ribs. I don't know what all she done. All, now she knows that all those sickness and all those ailments she had was directly related with her sin. Now she knows that. Would you act in her behalf and pray with her? Well, what? Would you act in her behalf and pray with her? Oh, sure I will. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, she's not alone. She's in better company right now tonight with this bunch of Christians. She's been a long time. Yeah. But when, when, when the Lord, I mean, when Cheryl come home to God and ask Him to forgive him, forgive her a few years ago, He did forgive her and cleaned her up. And then, I mean, lo and behold, I don't know, I, I think she will agree with me, but He even brought her a godly man. You know, that would love her and take care of her. And she had never had one that loved her and took care of her, but he brought her one. So if I ask for that too, he'll bring me one? Sure. He'll heal your body. He'll do that. Did he heal her body? Absolutely. I mean, this is unbelievable, you know, that I've got to work hard to get there. No, you don't really have to work hard to get there. You just ask Jesus to forgive you. You believe by faith He'll heal you. And we pray that prayer of faith just like He did Cheryl. He he set her free. He healed her. All those problems she had and made her a new woman. A new woman. 
And then God. And now you'd never know it, would you? Look at that man right behind you right there in the pink shirt. That man had a stroke. And one half of his body wouldn't work. And he came to me and said, what do I need to do? And I said, you've got to repent of every sin. And you and your wife got to start walking in this love walk. And I said, then you've got to trust God. And no doctors. If you trust God, He'll heal you. And it took six months. But him and Carol stood on the Word of God. Today that man is totally, completely restored. Say, I mean the God that I serve or that we serve here, He's a healer. He's a miracle worker. He forgives us of sins. And then he tells us, now he told Ray, just like he told you and me, he said, now that I've healed you, he said, now go and sin no more. I expect you to walk holy in obedience to my word. That's what he says. But we know, we know that. But when we come to him as these children that don't know this, and we come in, and just like Ray was learning, he didn't know these sins caused these problems. But Cheryl didn't know this either. She had no knowledge of this. The lifestyle she was living, the place she lived, she had no idea that the thing she was doing was bringing all this devastation and hell into her life. But most people don't know it. No, I didn't. No. Until tonight, I didn't know it all tied in together. Sure. But it's all in there. It's all in there. And when we repent, just like she did, when she came to me at a healing school five years ago, she had some incurable diseases in her body. And she repented of her sins. I laid hands on her and prayed for her five years ago and God instantly healed those incurable diseases. But I don't know how many hundreds of times I've done that over and over and over for people in the last 20, 30 years. It works. Thousands of times. I mean, there's, there's people, all kinds of people that come to this church or that have, there's people come here from all over the world we prayed for and God healed them. And then they're, some of them come back once in a while or write us letters or whatever. But we've seen God heal people. By the thousands. But you don't have to be sick and afflicted. But the devil had deceived you just like he had my wife. She didn't know that either. She was trying to live the best life she could. But she didn't know her sins was what... She'd done everything. I mean, you know, just like any, any woman that's living out there by herself trying to make a living. Who knows what you do? Trying to make a living. But anyway, all those little sins that's tied in with it is killing you. And she didn't know it either. Well, you're not, you're not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Because God loves you. Somebody brought you here tonight that loves you, that knew the God that we serve can do miracles. And that's why you're here tonight. And tonight, when you repent and ask Him to forgive you, He's going to. And when you walk out of here tonight, you're going to be a different woman. And we're going to pray for your healing. And He's going to heal you. And you're going to start on a new walk. And just like my honey bunny up here, did you hear some of the things she said was wrong with her? And wow, boy, she can jump up and dance now. I wish I could. I can't walk. I have problems walking. She couldn't either. Ray couldn't either. That stroke. I mean, Ray, I mean, he was awful. Hey, one side of his face was all, what did you see, about three when you couldn't see, you could see three people of everything. I mean, he, he was totally messed up. 
But see, when you repent of your sins, just like I told Cheryl at a healing school five years ago, I said, if you want to be healed, all you got to do is repent of all your sins, tell God you're sorry, and I'll reach up and lay hands on you, according to Mark 16, 17, and 18. I said, He'll deliver you from these demons, and He'll heal you. And I did, and, and He did, right there. But I have no idea how many people come to this church. That some of Some of the time it is. A lot of the time it is. Ray's was not. It took him, what, six months, Ray? Six or seven months to get healed. It took Dave Rosenfeld a year and a half. Now, Philip, that young man standing back there, wave your hand there, Phil. That young man right there, when he was 11, I was asked to come to his house. He now does all the tape duplicating, runs the cameras and all kinds of stuff for us. He's 22 years old. He's married to his lovely little wife, wherever she is around here. Oh, back there on the camera with him. But when he was 11, his mother and daddy asked me to come to their home. And at 11, his total body was covered with warts and scars. They had burned a bunch of the warts off of his hands, but the warts had come back in the scars. We went through the Word of God, spent two and a half hours with them, built their faith, repented of sins. I prayed the prayer of faith for them and guaranteed them the God that I said would take off the warts and the scars. And in four weeks, that boy didn't have a wart or a scar on his body. I mean, the, the God, I mean, He kills everything, doesn't He, honey? I mean, it's, it's easy for Jesus. All you got to do is believe Him, right? Sure. See, all you got to do is believe and pray in faith and then, hey, stand on the Word. He it took him four weeks. It took Ray six months. Cheryl was healed instantly. You know, she's been since then though, since we've got married, she's had many little things that come up, you know, like a stomach ache or something. Yeah, and I pray for her. She gets healed instantly. You know, I mean God just he has spoiled her since she's been in my house. There was another man like you around. <laughs> I need to be spoiled. Well, every woman wants to be spoiled. Every woman wants to be... Now, let me tell you. Yeah. If, if the men, if their eyes were not blinded by the God of this world, and they knew what I knew, they would be the men that would walk in the love walk. Because Ty does it. I mean, several of these men in here are learning how to do this. And when you learn how to walk in that love walk with God, then when you ask Him for something, He will do it. Just like He took Phil's warts and scars off 11 years ago. And also, if I walk in the love of God... And that is, I don't want to say it like this, but that is attractive to other men who also walk. Sure. I mean, people love, I mean, you have no idea what this walk that I've had the privilege to walk in in the last 20 years has changed tens of thousands of people's lives. I mean, many. (laughs) Nearly everybody, nearly everybody, and we're sending out now approximately 10,000 CDs and DVDs a week, free and postpaid, all over the world. I don't charge nobody for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. See, I don't charge for nothing. All this stuff back here is free. I give it away. Let people take all they want. We buy about 10,000. Phil orders them. CDs, DVDs, cassettes, and all that stuff. About 10000 a week. And we even pay the postage when we send them. When they call and order them, we don't charge nobody for nothing. Send it out free and postpaid. That's, that's so awesome because I've just grown up believing that, who is it? Is it or, you know. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And those are evil people who just do it for the money. Yeah. So we, can't, we can't worry about them. No, no. They're not our problem. You, and you can't judge him either, see. 
So you, you, as a daughter of the king, you don't want to say he's evil because you don't want to judge him. You want to let God do that. See, God's big enough to take care of his boys. So when we judge somebody else like that, then we step out of our love walk. Whereas love remembers no wrong. See, it's, it's a hard place to walk. It really is. Yes, I know. That's right. Spiritual rules. There's a lot of them, but the only place we... It is possible to walk there, though. But God made the rules. It's just like the law book to drive on the highways. If you don't read the book... I mean, most people, like, once you get a driver's license, do they ever read the book again? Of course not. Of course not. So, why do they break so many rules? Because they don't know. They don't read the book. Well, see, the Bible's the same way. So, we read the book, and we read it all the time. We come to Bible study and talk about it and see what we're supposed to do. And when we come here and we talk about the Word, we learn. We go away from here better than we came in, hopefully, you know, with more knowledge. And we learn and read and see what God said in His Word. And we do what He says. And we walk in this royal love. Is there any kind of... Like when I leave here, you know, I'm, I meant to bring my Bible. But... Is there any kind of, uh, I don't want to say little bitty booklet that tells you where to start? Because you start at Genesis. I mean, I, you know how Genesis starts. I'll tell you the best place to start. Where? When you get through here, go back here and get you some CDs or DVDs. I've got, I've got them. And then just put them in and start listening. And then every time you come back, say, Lord, which ones do I need this week? And when you walk by there, as the Holy Spirit prompts you, pick up, yeah, pick up what He prompts you to pick up, and then take it and listen to it and study it, and check out what I say in your Bible. Start having a love walk with God. So I start with this, and this will tell me where to start. Oh, He'll tell you. Yes, He will. From those CDs and DVDs, He will teach you. He will. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So now the Bible study is over tonight. In the name of Jesus. That's good. We had a great time. No problem. Don't be sorry. Praise God. We're, yeah, we're going to pray for people or anything anybody wants.